love to I would love to sleep in some mornings like Archer's at the age now where he can go yeah. do his own thing but I can't sleep past 730 because my back's like now get mm. up no good I know you gotta pop in a leave before you go to bed at night that'll, uh. that'll help your back <laughs> oh, no. I'm serious I, I take a leave not daily but uh. mm, on the regular yeah hey know. it helps alright yeah alright let's, let's do this shall we let's go ahead why not all right. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 59 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. I'm Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casually and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to be talking about the DC Pen Show with a special guest, CY, from Tokyo Station Pens. We'll talk about Lamy Rhodonite Ink, the Safari and Swipe Extra Finds as drawing pens. We're going to talk about Stephen Brown's video on how pen companies are failing the pen community. And we got some tips for what's important to do or not do at a pen show for a first-time attendee. And we have two weeks worth of what's happening nonsense turkey hammock time to catch up on. So plenty of that to get to. But before we get into all that, we're going to talk about some feedback. Yes, we are. We have got some feedback and two little nuggets of feedback I want to start off by sharing. I just asked, hey, you know, uh, ask us anything. And we got two amazing pop culture references, Brian. Dancer of Peace, Dancer of Peace just says, what kind of bear is best? Um... I mean, I did say ask us anything, so I, get I invited the it. That's but the funny thing is, the bears, next one... Beats. The, Battlestar Galactica. It, that same question also brought this response from O'Reilly Owl. Why are you the way that you are? Mm. So, what two gives, office references. and What you gives know, you the right? <laughs> you know... Brian and my love language is office references or 30 Rock references or Parks and oh, Rec yeah. or community, any of those things. Yes, that's... yeah. That's our all, language. So thank solid. you for that. We'll 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 take those all day long. Um, and then I don't know if you recall this, since it was a little while ago, we pre-recorded our podcast that played last week. Mm-hmm. And in that, I told you while you while I knew you were going to go off on your cubing tangent, I told you at the beginning, I'm I like, did. I'm going to be engaged, I'm going to be interested, and then. I got a ton of comments saying, oh, my God, Drew's face while Brian was talking about the cues. (laughs) And I'm like, I tried. I tried. I was. And then I actually went back and looked at my face. And what they were talking about was not an expression of boredom or sadness. It was an expression of, like, total brain meltedness. Like, you were (laughs) describing why you like these things that literally were causing me anxiety and just sorry I so but but it wasn't it wasn't that i was disinterested but i was looking at myself i'm like oh my god drew you look like you're in physical pain so i get i i see well, why there was there were some comments about that to be fair i didn't mean to go on for 23 minutes about the puzzles so well, we knew you would we saw that i we we both saw the notes you had in here like we knew what I was know. coming. i'm always overly optimistic i'm like yeah i did put a lot of notes but you know i just kind of like wrote it out not as as bullet like talking points but i I wrote it out kind of like a stream of consciousness and then the problem is when i write out my bullet points as stream of consciousness 
I read them and I expound upon them as if they were just talking points. And then it just ends up being even longer. So I don't know what my approach is. Conciseness is not but, my gift. But uh, no, my brain hasn't melted. I'm still here. We're ready to go. Um, we yeah. had an amazing email, Brian, from mm. Ron. And Ron wanted to reply to our topic a couple of weeks ago about dense pens, pens that were small but okay. heavy okay. Um, and not too thick, just like overall dense pens. And Ron, dude, he went like beyond a Brian level deep dive on this. Uh-oh. Okay. Like Ron went deep. So here's what Ron said. <laughs> he says, I was curious about the densest pen you guys have. So I calculated it. I went through every pen where you list the body length, diameter, and weight, and I used that to calculate the density, assuming it was a cylinder. Mm. I also factored in the maximum amount of ink capacity, if listed, assuming the density near that of plain water. Mm. So he did the math, Brian. Wow. Ron did the math, which also would have melted my brain. And Mm. the number one most dense pen at the Goulet Pen Company is the Caveco Brass Sport. Fountain pen. Okay, I can see that. The, the most dense pen. Top five ends up being that one, followed by the Caveco Supra in brass, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Monteverde tool pen in black, for some reason, the Caveco hmm. Supra in stainless steel, the Visconti Homo Sapiens dual touch fountain pen in black. So Ron listed all of them, all of the pens we carry. So if you are interested in Ron's brain, Wow. I will include his uh, GitHub link in the comments of the pencast. Uh, he shared that with us. So it's all there, folks. If you are interested in dense pen, Ron has done the work for you. Cheers to you, my friend. Well done. Man you of my own, one, man of my own of heart. Us. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Absolutely. So that's it for me. That is, that is some, those are some comments and a half. Wow. I was going to say, if you really wanted to take it next level. What are you doing? What? You no. could you could take the pen and you could submerge it in water and calculate its actual displacement, and then you could get the most most accurate level of no! density. No, why would we need to do that? <laughs> we wouldn't. That doesn't make any sense. Oh it's my god, silly! But that's pretty cool. All right, so good to know that like when I go on these crazy tangents, it's not completely lost. No, on, no, there everyone. Are, there are, Some people appreciate it. <laughs> there are too many people that appreciate your tangents. <laughs> too many people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, uh, well, I got some. I got some feedback too. One came from MSC. I found the history of the hooded nibs was a super interesting topic in this pencast. Yet another deep dive. Drew, you got to stop adding these in here as feedback know, because I'm, you're just encouraging I, me. I, <laughs> I am an, I am honest and transparent. I will tell it like it is, but it doesn't mean I have to be happy about it. Appreciate that. Uh, <sighs> Emma says, thank you for incorporating that. I love my Parker 51s, vintage and modern. I think the hooded nib is just so elegant and subtle, and I love how they write. I wish more brands made hooded nibs. I agree. I think it's kind of cool. Even though they don't necessarily serve the same need as they did way back in the day, I think it's uh, cool, and more companies should make them. We might, we might be seeing a new hooded nib coming out soon. We might. We might indeed. Little teaser. Uh, and then Amy says, why not have both anchovies and pineapple, referring to pizza toppings? Uh, I literally typed this before Brian said that. I have Brian's pizza, I'll have Brian's pizza any day. For those of you who don't remember, my favorite pizza is, um, what is it? Barbecue sauce instead of tomato sauce. And then cheese, ideally extra cheese. Uh, the more types of cheese, the better. Uh, and then bacon and chicken and pineapple, my favorite. 
it's the best. And if I can get stuff crossed, that's even better. But that's a that's a pretty obscure combination to get all that. But if I can make it happen, I'll do it. And Drew's just cringing right now. I don't know. Drew eats MREs so for fun. So I don't think that he's a credible source of. <laughs> They're food. cute. They have little um, packets. They are fun. They are fun. Um, okay, so Amy says, "Sounds delicious. Any sweet and savory combination is all good for me." Heck yeah, Amy. Now I need to know how Drew feels about apricot chicken, though I think I know. Is that a thing? Apricot chicken? I mean, it shouldn't be fruit and chicken. Drew, ah. I literally, I literally ate apple like sweet apple uh, chicken sausages for lunch. That Keep was my, your fruit off That's what I ate an hour ago. It was delicious. Oh, my God. No, I no, feel no, 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 so no. And I'm also, someone else in the comments said something right about, like, mango salsa. I don't do that either. I either oh, want. yeah. I want, I do mango not want, salsa. I do yes. not want spicy and sweet together. I just Drew, don't. Put fresh mango on your tacos. No. Oh, my gosh. No. Fish tacos. Tomato fish tacos. Only. Yeah, you see that all the time. Yeah, tomato, too. But No. Oh, tomato mangoes. and mango. You're kidding me. Yeah. And lime juice. Yeah, throw it all in there. Cilantro. Oh, you vile human. Oh, yeah. We go all out of oh. tacos. Yeah. Oh. It's yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, mm. oh God. Oh, cool. God. There you go. So Drew and I have known each other oh. a long time, but we don't have the same preferences of oh, food. Though we do, have a, we do have a Venn diagram that overlaps. God. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to some actual pen things. Let's talk about some new stuff. All right. Well, Drew, we got a few new things to talk about. Because we have two weeks worth of new stuff. That we do. Um, so we do have a few things. Uh, one is a new ST DuPont Line D uh, that is a North American exclusive called Gold Dust. So this is a Yurushi lacquer finish, um, which you don't see from many companies other than basically Japanese companies. And the rare Pelican limited edition every now and then. But um, ST DuPont, they do their own uh, Yurushi finishes and uh, over top of metal pens. So... Very cool finishes, um, and this one is gold dust. It's like a, um, you know, essentially like a gold flake. I don't think it's actual gold. I think it's like a gold. Uh, I don't know what it is. Some kind of gold glittery type material. But it Pro- looks probably cool. something that shines better than gold flakes actually would. Yeah, I think gold flake would look good if it was on top of you know just purely on top, and that's what you see in a lot of um, you know Urushi lacquer for from you know Namiki and, and Sailor and stuff like that. But if it's like embedded in the lacquer, it's gonna get covered up pretty good so um you do see that so it's got kind of a reddish tinge to it which is the color of the lacquer so it's kind of cool um, but anyway very unique looking pen and uh you know st dupont very solid pen the craftsmanship of those is is fantastic so we got to see these pens in person um very cool so i recommend you go check those out if you're interested um, we are also going to be carrying the new pilot vanishing point special editions so this to my knowledge is the first resin vanishing point that we've ever that, that we've ever had but that i'm aware has been made at least in the available in the u.s it's always been over metal so these are um the similar resins to what you see in the uh, custom heritage special editions um, so these kind of bright acrylic resins and you see these on these vanishing points now so we'll have those in five different colors i recommend you go check them out um, I haven't seen them in person yet, but uh, we'll have them up on the site, I think, by Friday. I think we might be launching them maybe when this video goes out. I'm not sure. We never know with delivery times. We're shooting this on Tuesday. So who knows? Anything could happen in the world. And last but not least, I have the Visconti Homo Sapiens Travel Edition set. So it's a whole set. But what's cool about this is it's got a enhanced, I guess you could call it, uh, traveling inkwell, which matches the pen 
very cool looking. So it's a uh, basically a lava edition traveling ink well with some. Uh, it's got like the bands on the top of it, like you yeah. see on the pen. It looks super cool. We've already asked them if we could get the traveling inkwells by themselves because that is the coolest part of the whole set. No, we can't. They're only doing it as a set, which kind of stinks, but I kind of get it too. So I don't know. If they're really hot, maybe we can convince them to make a bunch of inkwells. I don't know. No promises there, but uh, definitely that is the coolest part. So we got those. Go check them out. Absolutely. They are very, very cool. I was checking them out just recently. Mm-hmm. We got two new Caveco pens this week, Brian. We've got mm. one in the aluminum version, the All Sport, which I don't know. Are they still calling it the All Sport or have they just kind of like abandoned that? They've called Twisbees so many yeah. things over the years. They are it's still an All Sport. You mean Kaweco. You always mix those I, up I, I, know. I do, up, I do. You mix it's like Twisby, you, Twisby and Kaweco all the time. I do it, I do it. Just like you and cartridges and converters. Um, you, got the but, all, you got the All Sport with Kaweco. You've got I know. the Twisby 580 AL or all so it's or the, it's the it's the Twisby All Star. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Made in, made anyway, in Germany. Yeah. They came, they came out with two new Caveco pens, the All Sport in Iguana Blue, which is a stunningly it's stunningly hot. beautiful teal. Looks good. Like god, so good looking. And then the just as beautiful but not really uh <laughs> um don't be uh, dogging uh, on the mellow blue. Come on, mellow blue is fine, but next to the iguana blue, Brian, like that iguana, like it, it, that iguana blue. That, mm. Sorry, that iguana. Yeah, the iguana blue. It attacks your eyes like a real iguana will attack you <laughs> in real life, and they are aggressive. If you've ever been to a tropical location where there are native iguanas, they are mean and they are territorial and they will fight you off. So if you want a pen that is going to just like trigger that inner iguana rage monster inside of you, oh, this yeah. is what you need to go. Now, on the other hand, sometimes you just need to mellow out. So the metal mellow blue mm. option will be you your ticket. Also, at <laughs> 92 versus like $29, you might just want to go with the mellow blue if uh, that's just what's in your budget. So mm. either way, whether you let your mood or your wallet dictate, we've got two new Quebecos for you. And also come down the pipeline here soon, not at present, but pretty much at any time now uh it'll be here by the time you see this is the monteverde invincia deluxe in full abalone so full balloon full balloon we've got a we we got this in from a pen friend leave me balloon <laughs> yes i was a little it's, behind i was a little behind on opening my mail this was sent to us like last year yes but. this is from 2021 we we had some things Sorry. rerouted that uh, got lost but uh, thank you eleanor this is amazing very cool. Um, so the balloon is back. We're balloning it up again. The Love full balloon. So uh, <laughs> this is on the Invincia, which uh, during the balloon explosion last year, 2021, the year of balloon, uh, got overlooked. The Invincia, which has been a Monteverde staple for quite some time, did not get the full balloon treatment. But now it does. Mm. You can check it out. Balloonalicious. Thank you very much. The big news, Brian, though. Do you remember yeah. when the Twisby, and yes, I'm talking about Twisby this time, the uh-huh. Twisby Eco and Jade came out? Oh, yeah. Everybody was like, oh, this, oh. this, looks, this looks like it should does glow it, in the dark. Does it glow in the dark? Does it glow right? in the dark? I'm like, no, it doesn't. Well, Twisby has heard and answered the request. They are coming out with a glow green special edition Twisby Eco yes. next week. So right now you cannot get it, but you can sign up for the mm. notification list so that we can let you know the second it goes on sale here at the Goulet Pen Company, but uh, keep right. your eyes peeled. You can go on the website and check out some images as well. So that is cool. It's always nice to 
see something that's really desired and uh, have it be materialized. Yeah. And if you want to be able to write in the dark, I mean, you won't be able to read what you're writing, but if you want to be able to see your pen cap in the dark, you know, this would be the pen for you. <laughs> I don't, that's right. It's wildly impractical, but it is just really cool. I don't know why. I mean, um, it, we, we've been selling glow-in-the-dark Banu for years, so. We have. And one could argue they don't serve any practical purpose. It's just. Nope aesthetic and it looks but really they awesome look rad yeah the thing i will say though we did try do you remember this a while ago drew we tried um breaking apart a glow stick and mm-hmm. filling a twisby with it um that is not a wise idea unless you want no. to destroy your twisby rather dramatically it so melted and kind of exploded it. yeah <laughs> it's kind of cool um but yeah don't advise doing that or you avoid your warranty for sure um and drew when you said blown explosion <laughs> I don't know why I had just like Mythbusters style explosion in my mind of just like a giant pile of baloney being blown up in the middle of like a quarry wouldn't, or something. Wouldn't that be something? That would be something. I want to see it. I We had a good question come up. This is a little, little internal insight into what goes on in our Slack channel inside our company. Uh, but Brandon from our uh, fulfillment team posed the question, uh, isn't a hot dog just, or no, isn't, isn't baloney just like a hot dog pancake. Like, it's basically the same food material, right? Or am I, am I not right about that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as far as processed, processed, processed meat go, <laughs> yeah, that's... It's the same I thing, think, right? Or if you get, like, not, the big... It's not you get the big, like, That's if you get, like, bologna slices. But if you get, like, the whole tube of bologna, it's like a giant hot dog. I don't know. I don't I know how different you, they if are. If you process meat enough, like, I really don't think that there's any sort of distinction between something like bologna and something like a hot dog. True, true. Yeah. But then again, bologna never claims to be like all beef bologna, does it? Yeah, you can get that. It does? You can mm-hmm. get all beef bologna? Sure. I <laughs> will I will confess, Brian, it has been a while since I have shopped for bologna. Well, it's not most people's like go-to desired food item, but <laughs> Really? Yeah. Young young Brian though, young Brian would go all in on some bologna. <laughs> um, you know, my mom would buy like the pack. You know, the not the not the like resealable pack that's like in plastic I know what you, you oh i know take what you the mean, lid and put it yellow, back on but it, it had like backing no, yeah but but no this had like the red like ribbon stuff around the edges of it that oh, you would yeah. like peel off oh, yeah. and then you'd like eat the stuff off the ribbon you know? yep oh yeah, oh, yeah. i remember that was, that. that was my jam and it just came in like a shrink wrap thing and you'd open it up and then it was just like now it's just an open container of bologna and i was a kid so i just stick it back in the fridge and my mom would be like this is disgusting let me put it in a container and now I do the same thing with my kids because they just, they're just animals. They take, they'll open a pack of hot dogs, a resealable pack of hot dogs, and they'll just leave it open in the fridge and all the hot dog juice will like go all over the inside of the oh. fridge drawer and all that. And I'm just like, kids, come on. Hot come dog on. juice. That's when, that's when you <laughs> make them drink the hot dog juice out of like a little uh, teaspoon. I mean, it's just juice from the hot dog, right? Like it shouldn't yeah. be that gross. Enjoy kids. Hmm. That just seems gross for some reason. Anyway, this is nasty, and you uh, you all definitely don't want to hear about this, so we are going to move on to our Q&A. All right, Drew. We got an interesting, right. interesting Q&A today, mixing it up yeah, a little bit. We're mixing it up. So we're yeah. going to kick things off with a totally random one by uh, Thomas, and Thomas asks mm. us, should Lamy Rotonite have shimmer? Most people say it does not, but my bottle does. Ooh. He looks intensely confused at the end of that question with... Maybe we can help him. The exclamation mark and question mark there. Um, so Lamy does not advertise it as having shimmer. So I wouldn't officially call it that because basically shimmer is you're adding some kind of non... Um, 
dissolvable particulate in there. And it's meant to be, you know, some some pigmented particulate that is is floating around inside the ink. Um, so the ink does have some slight sheen to it. And, um, you know, I'll give you that. Um, you can see that even in our swabs that we have online. Um, but I think what's going on here is something slightly different. It's not an actual shimmer. But um, I think what you're seeing is the dye, the dye color um, and the level of saturation that you see. You know, we've seen this with Lamy. We've seen this with other uh, ink brands as well, particularly in the like pink and kind of orange range. Um, we've seen this happen where um, some crystallization can actually happen from the dyes. So the dyes, for whatever reason, I'm not a chemist, but they can, you know, when they're intensely saturated like that, they can actually kind of crystallize and then these little crystals will kind of fall out of suspension and float around in the ink and, and kind of mimic what it looks like with shimmer. It's not gonna be nearly as noticeable or as intense as a shimmer would be. In fact, you probably won't even notice it. Um, or it's something that over time it may happen more, depending on storage conditions. This crystallization might happen more over time. It does, it's not anything, uh, from what I understand, that impacts the the flow of the ink unless it's happening in some extreme circumstance. Never heard of an issue with, with uh, Lamy Rodenite. But we've had other inks happen, like uh, Noodler's Georgia Peach, uh, Noodler's Dragon's, breath or dragon's fire sorry um so i would say that it, it's something that can happen especially in this color range um and, and i think that's why you know some people are saying that it doesn't do that but your bottle does i think you've got more crystallization maybe than what some other people have so it looks a little more like shimmer um so i don't know if that's exactly what's happening that's kind of what i surmise might be happening uh with your bottle here and i think that you've just got a little more crystallization going on so i don't think you have to be worried about any extra cleaning or anything like that unless you just find that there's flow issues or a problem um, and then, you know, if you really find it to be a problem, you can always use um, like a coffee filter or something like that and just like pour your ink through that and filter out any particulate that's in there. But that's even a pretty extreme case. I don't think you really need to even go that far with it. I think just use the ink and enjoy it. And if it happens to look a little bit shimmery, then great. And if not, then that's great too. That's just going to be characteristic of that ink because it may be, you know, a little bit different from one person to the other. So anyway, you got any thoughts, Drew? I do, Brian. Mm. I would call it a shimmer ink. Really? Why would you call it that? Every bottle I've ever seen of Rhodonite, even back when we first got in the Crystal Editions, has yeah. had shimmer on the bottom that you'd need to shake out and agitate. Hmm. Um, to, to me, it does not look like the more crystalline, floaty bits that hmm. you were describing, because I have seen those as well. This stuff settles right to the bottom like shimmer does. There's not a lot of it though, so it's yeah. That's why I wonder if, and they definitely don't advertise it. So yeah, um, but from what it looks like on the swab and what it looks like in the bottle, like if you shake it up, it looks like shimmer to me. So hmm. I I would go ahead and call it a shimmer ink, like just because of what's in there, the way it behaves, the way it flows, and hmm. um, the way it settles too. It it behaves just like a hmm. shimmer ink would, but like Brian said, they don't call it a shimmer ink. So we try not to advertise. So do you that, see, I'm, I'm curious now, because I haven't, I mean, I have a bottle of this, but it's at my office and I haven't looked at it uh, since we got this question in. Mm -hmm. Does it actually show up like shimmer on the paper? So that I, did, that I did not do. Um, when this question came in, I okay. did double check a bottle because I remembered it doing that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I did double check to see if they still did it and they do, but I did not swab it up. Okay. So that would be to me... I mean, yeah. basically, if they don't if they don't call it that, then I wouldn't call it that. Because, right, of course. Yeah, that probably know. wouldn't change what we call it on the website. But Right, uh, right. But I think it's like, 
you know, it's sort of like sheen. It's like some inks have a heavy sheen, some don't. You know, if they're, and most of the time, they're not advertised as having any types of these things. It's pretty rare to see a secret shimmer ink, though. It's basically never happened. So yeah. that's why I'm like, I don't quite Yeah, know. no, no. You have every right to be skeptical. But, uh, but the, I don't know. But I don't know, man. I think, that, I think it's shimmer. It's more shimmer than not, for sure. To, to me, it would be like, if it shows up, you know, pretty reliably on paper, then I would feel more comfortable calling it that. But if it's literally just you can see some stuff in the bottle, but then when you use it on the page, it doesn't look like anything different than normal ink, then I would be like, eh, to me, that's not really shimmer. That's just, All right. you know, I'll some do, of this I'll do some, uh, I'll do some homework and we'll, we'll, okay. we'll revisit this one. I'm curious, but if any of y'all have experience using Lamy Rodenite, it's one of their crystal line of inks. It's a, mm-hmm. like a pink, pinky color. Uh, please let us know what you think because uh, I think we can, uh, and, uh, you know, we, I, didn't, I didn't like officially ask Lamy because usually it takes me a while to get a response about something like this, but um, it's something we can reach out and maybe, uh, maybe we can follow up on it if it's uh, of interest to you all. All right, next question we've got. This is from Pedro Blazer. Lamy Safari Extra Fine versus Drew's favorite, Twisby Swipe Extra Fine as drawing instruments, the ultimate opinion. Drew, mm, do you feel okay. comfortable making the ultimate opinion on this? Is I mean, any opinion can be the ultimate opinion as long as you're loud enough, right? Between the two of us, you have more of an ultimate opinion on drawing instruments than I do. So I, I do. I've never, um, apart from really, really fine flex nibs, though, or a, mm. a variable point nib, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that can, uh, like a Fude or something that can hmm. do different line widths, like those I see as very practical drawing instruments for me. Um, but if you don't have a variable line width, extra fine definitely is the way to go because hmm. you cannot make a broad an extra fine, but you can, with enough lines, make an extra fine a broad if you just go over it a bunch of times. And True. Uh, so, yes, um, I do really, really love the swipe, even though it has a useless clip. Um, but in terms of the actual nib or the extra fine swipe versus the extra fine safari, you're not going to see a ton of difference. In my experience, I do see a little bit more consistency among extra fine Twisby nibs than I do extra fine Lamy nibs. I have, I've been, but then again, I've been using extra fine Lamy nibs way longer. So you use enough, eventually you're going to see some discrepancies there. Mm -hmm. So, um, we'll put a caveat on that, but if you are going out and about, I'd say that the biggest win that the swipe has over the Safari would be its ink capacity because both cartridges and converters can hold like twice the amount of ink that you can in a cartridge or converter on the hmm. Lamy side of things. Also, I think it caps a little bit more reliably long-term, Brian. What do you think? Um, it's hard to say. They're pretty similar, I think, in terms of their mechanism. I've never had a problem with the Safari. They're pretty reliable. So I would, I would, I've, if, I've, if I leave, if I, I've left a Safari for like weeks un, unopened and it's been a little dry. Oh, oh, but, oh, oh, sorry. You're talking about like how well the cap seals the nib yeah. on. I was thinking like the cap itself, like you know. Oh, uh, like just like firm purchase, staying on the pen, like gotcha. being reliable as a snap cap you know, device. Um, yeah. I mean, I've never really had a problem with Lamy's necessarily, but I think, you know, yeah, I would, I, I might argue that Twisby might have a little more intention of an insert in there than the Safari, but, um, do you think you that know. the Safari has anything over the Twisby in terms of reliability for drawing? Um, I don't know about reliability for drawing necessarily, but the, the big, the big feature that Lamy has over the swipe, 
um, is that the nibs are swappable. You can get replacement nibs. There's a lot of people that have multiple lamis, and so you can swap nibs in between them, which, you know, isn't required for drawing, but certainly can come in handy at times, uh, depending on your your form or whatever. So, you know, for, in that respect, I do think it's it's pretty handy. Plus, if you're drawing and you want to keep pens inked up with particular colors and things like that, Lamy has a wider range of color pens, so you can keep the ink in there. I mean, it's not like super crucial and the swipe is easy enough to tell. You can just get, you know, a more neutral color and ink it up with whatever the heck you want. But you know, if you really like to match your ink to your pen, it could be handy. But I mean, Lamy, the Safaris and the Joy actually is really big in the urban sketching world. Um, but I know Liz Steele is a big fan of the, the white Lamy Joy. <laughs> That's been like her, her go-to sketching pen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's such a mainstay pen in the like drawing community, especially kind of like urban sketching community. Um, you know, and the big thing for me is if you're drawing sketching, especially if you're going out and about the, the non-functional clip on the swipe to me is actually a kind of a drawback. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not a total deal breaker. Like honestly, I'm a lot of the times I'm not, clipping my pen into my notebook or whatever i mean i might with a safari because i don't you know i don't really care if it gets kind of as a bp clip there are very different clips like one is useless and one is like indestructible yeah and the, like the, uh, the safari clip is one i would trust on like a pair of jeans like that oh yeah of, of all the fountain pen clips out there oh yeah there are some that are not denim worthy but are otherwise fine the the safari all-star clip man that thing yeah. can go over any material you can put on like, your legs i have like like uh insulated like bib overalls that i wear when i like working in the winter time out in my woods like that safari clip would work with those yeah the thickest of materials so you know some people think it's not the prettiest clip in the world you know it is definitely like a prominent feature of the pen you can't unsee that clip um people think say that it kind of looks like a paper clip which you know it kind of does but it's incredibly functional and very strong. So, you know, I would say you could use both pens. They definitely both have their pros and cons. I do I'll get, like so I do like right the higher the color. I, I like the higher incapacity of the swipe. I will give it that. Yes, I will give it that. I can't and and can't multiple multiple filling methods too. You don't you have like two different converters. Yeah, true. I don't know how much that necessarily matters for drawing purposes, but I mean, yeah, it, it right, just you're right. For, for drawing purposes, yeah. But it, it broadens preferences and stuff like that. And you know, I guess with Twisby, I mean, they have their own proprietary cartridges, which are bigger. But I believe you can still use standard, just regular standard international. So, if you want to get into using cartridges, you know, I guess you have a little more versatility with um, Twisby than you might with with Lamy, which has their own proprietary ones. So I don't know. It's it's. They're, they're, both, not, they're both pretty good pens for, for that And purpose. it's not like you can't change the nib on the swipe. You could, mm-hmm. but you'd need to buy a nib for, for a spare nib for a Twisby Mini, which is like twice the price of what you would buy a spare you, Lamy nib for. You, might, you basically might as well buy another buy swipe. Buy a new pen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just keep buying swipes. But, yeah. you know, but the swipe is a less expensive pen, too. So And you get all the extra stuff with it, all the, the attachments and converters and all that stuff. So... You know, and it and it does seal so well. That 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 pen impresses me. I just love that pen so so frequently. They're both I, they're both really good pens. I could make a. I love a pen that you can ignore. I'd really do. I love a pen that will ignore. It's like one of those friends that you don't have to do anything with. You can just 
see them like once a year and just be cool. They don't require anything. They're not high maintenance. They don't need you to be texting them or like hanging mm. out with them and their kids. Like, no. If you see them, great. It's just like it always has been. They don't, don't really pick, they don't really have a lot right going on. Yeah, they're right. Like, they're usually just the best. They're, they're usually available, so like you can just kind of be like, "Hey, are you free here?" That, yeah, sure. I don't have much going on. That's 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 what that's the type of friend I I that I strive to be, Brian. Like just like, hey, no, it's all good. We'll see. Go. I'll see you when I see you, and that'll be enough. You Drew know, wants, Drew wants a complicit milk toast friend who can just <laughs> do whatever he asks them to do, or not. nothing at all. Nothing at all. You forget. <laughs> I don't like. I don't crave social environments. Like so. I true. appreciate low maintenance people. This is true. This is true. So yeah, right. bo- both deal. both are solid. I'm still going to go with my swipe. Fair enough. I I say either one could be a really good choice, but I think I think either way you're going to be pretty happy with a drawing pen. Very cool for this. All right, so we've got a beefy question coming up next from our we old do. friend Yazdeg Victor, mm-hmm. and we are asked, "What do you think about SBRE Brown's how pen companies fail the pen community video slash topic?" Now you mm. you saw this video before um, this topic got brought up in the uh, pencast question, so um, mm. I thought you might have some opinions about it. So I, I added this with that thought. You did. You asked me about it first, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch that video. I mean, at this point, the video is almost a month old, and uh, I did see it kind of like right after it first came out. And we got mentioned in it a couple of times just, you know, because obviously we're in the pen community. We sell pen products, so it makes sense that we would get brought up. Um, and Stephen, you know, solicited for comments uh, in that video. Um, so I thought it was an interesting one. I appreciate Stephen's perspective. He's done more videos than we have. So I know he's reviewed and, and really thought a lot about pens and various deeper aspects of them. Um, so I thought it was really interesting, uh, to get his take on it. So I'll go through, you know, we'll link to his video, uh, in our video description, but, uh, if you just go to his channel, SBRE Brown and how pen companies fail the pen community, it's something posted like July 20th or something like that. Um, as of right now, he's got 240 plus comments on that video. So I think he definitely got the comments he was looking for. Um, I didn't read through all of them. I read through some of them. Um, but so we did get mentioned a bit in the comments, um, as a, you know, retailer. So I commented back a couple of places, especially cause people were talking about, you know, asking for pen tests or nib work and that kind of stuff. And I was like, Ooh, I got to clarify a couple things here. Um, but, um, yeah. So, uh, as far as I know, Steven, he's a, he's a pen reviewer. He's a pen enthusiast. He's not affiliated with anyone officially from what I understand. He's not, you know, sponsored by any pen companies. You know, he may like, I know he's like gotten pens sent for reviews from retailers and stuff like that, but I don't know if he's officially compensated or whatever he's, but I trust him in terms of his opinions and stuff. Uh, most of his stuff he's just bought with his own money. Um, but in his video, he focuses on two main points. Um, one is that, you know, to the TLDR version is that, Higher-end pens uh, basically don't write properly. They're skipping hard starting. Basically, like, they're, they just don't write like they should for the price that they are. Um, and then the other point that he has, which is a little more of a kind of a side topic to the main video, is basically high-end pens are ugly is kind of what he talks about. Or ugly, you know, I, I would call it more eccentric or more mm-hmm. designed for its look, and they're just basically uncomfortable to write with. Um, so those are his two main points. He focuses mostly on the not writing properly one. So, um, you know, he, I guess he like solicited for these questions, maybe on Instagram or something like that. And I believe it was actually Ben Walsh from uh, Gravitas Pens, a, a small manufacturer who actually asked this question of him, which is 
you know, props to Ben, very proactive <laughs> as a pen company to be asking like where, where are pen companies failing? Um, and so in the video, he does specifically give Gravitas some praise there. Um, also, he mentions Edison as being one that is particularly thoughtful about the way they um, adjust their nibs and things like that. Um, so his complaint, really, Visconti is the only specific company that he, he kind of calls out. And he's, he's highlighting mostly the palladium nibs, which they don't sell anymore. Um, but, you know, we know from having carried Visconti for many years, they went through several iterations of palladium nibs. Um, and they definitely did not have a perfect run of things for a while there. So I think, you know, Stephen's take is very legitimate. I think a lot of people did have some experiences like what he experienced there. And I know I personally have felt disappointed when I purchase my own expensive pen and it does not perform, you know, even just as a pen enthusiast, you know, it's, it's, it's always tough when you're, you know, you have higher expectations when you're spending more on a pen that it should write. If not, you know, even better than a less expensive pen, it should at least be as reliable and as good. And then maybe just the other aspects of the pen that you expect to pay more for should more than make up for that. Uh, but it's, it's super disappointing when it, it writes less reliably than, you know, even far less expensive pens. So I, I do empathize with that sentiment. And I think there is, there is uh, truth to that. Not, not just specifically calling out Visconti, but he mentions other brands. He doesn't say specifically who, um, but other brands who are kind of similar like that. So I think, I'm guessing he doesn't name specific price ranges talking about the writing aspects of the pens, but he, my take is that it's probably pens in like the $500 plus range. That seems to be kind of in the vein of what he's talking about, but I'm putting words into his mouth a little bit there. Um, so, uh, I, I do think that there needs to be a supreme focus on nibs writing well at basically pens of any price point. I think there's a lot of forgiveness that can be given on a super inexpensive pen, you know, and you expect there to be some grace there. Right. But when you get to really high end pens, you know, I think that this is something I'm very aligned on. It really should be the primary focus for pretty much any pen company that these nibs should write well. Um, and it's always disappointing when that doesn't happen. So we do drive this home a lot with our distributors and manufacturers, basically every chance we get. And anytime it comes up like this, and this is a little bit why we're highlighting a video like this is because there already seem to be um, some respectful and thoughtful engagement and commenting on his video. His video I thought was pretty thoughtful as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, we can then point our manufacturers, point our distributors to that and say, you know, this is, this is sentiment that's kind of out there in the community and they can, you know, it's got a little more muster behind it than just us saying it. Um, you know, if it comes from multiple sources. Um, so a couple of points to add my perspective on some of the points that he made in his videos. I do agree with a lot of what he said in the video. I know that some hard, sometimes harder than we think <laughs> to make nibs. And Drew and I know just from having tuned them a little bit, seeing some of the manufacturers and what goes into it, it is tricky. Um, and while uh, we do see overall a lot of dependability from most manufacturers, I think there's some variability on the higher end pens. For whatever reason, I don't necessarily know. We don't necessarily get to see every pen and how it's manufactured and stuff like that. But um, uh, just from the nib work that we've been able to be a part of, you know, steel nibs are relatively easier to work on than things like gold and palladium and titanium and stuff like that. They get a lot trickier um, to work on when you get into these higher end pens. So uh, I, while on one hand, I think that, yes, we should expect more of these high end pens because we're 
paying more. Um, but it, it is also trickier and it's harder to, to make them very consistent as well. So I do empathize with that, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, that's, yeah, that's hard, but that's sort of part of your job. Um, and I think that that's the customer sentiment and it makes sense. Um, the commenters brought up, um, that uh, more people might be collecting them in these higher end pens and maybe not actually using them. So maybe the QC isn't as much of a focus for these manufacturers. I don't know that that's necessarily the approach that most manufacturers take in terms of the writing quality. The ones that we work with, at least, I've never gotten that impression that it's like, a, oh, well, people just collect them. So it doesn't really matter as much. I don't get that sense from the manufacturers. I think the distributors, depending on maybe who it is that's mostly buying a pen, if it's more of a fashion pen as opposed to an actual everyday writing pen, some of the points of what's emphasized, and and this kind of touches more on his second point of the pen design, not necessarily the writing quality. I don't know any pen company who's like, "Ah, we don't care what the pen writes like because that doesn't really matter. That I don't think is necessarily fair to say, but I can see where it might come across like that uh, as an outside observer. But that's not been my experience from talking to the manufacturers. None of them are just like openly discounting it um, because of that. Um, so ever since we got into the business, uh, nib, nib issues have honestly kind of always been, you know, a, a front and center point and something that has always been kind of a challenge, especially when there's new pens that are developed, nib changes that are made, any type of, you know, new design or a new type of nib. It's always, you know, something new that they have to figure out. And, uh, you know, it's tough from the nib work that we know, especially when you're talking about things like skipping and hard starting and all that. There's definitely principles that apply to pretty much any nib design in terms of, you know, how you grind the tip and how you spread the tines and, and things like that. But honestly, it's hard to tell unless you just have a whole lot of nibs and you put ink to paper and you try a lot of different types of ink, a lot of different types of paper, and, and you see how it goes. Um, but I do know with pens that, especially with ones that have a lot more the nibs that have a lot more flexibility to them, there's a lot more variables that can happen in terms of what's going to flow, what's going to skip, what's going to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you get into some of these higher end pens too, um, depending on the approach that they take towards like grinding the tip and adjusting them and things like that, some companies, they don't grind the pens to be used as universally as others, you know, so like some of them, if they're written with a really steep angle or really low angle or written really fast or whatever, they may not be as universal as when they're in sort of their sweet spot. So there's definitely some subjectivity that can be in the approach that's taken towards some of the tuning of these nibs um, that uh, some companies may not fully understand uh, the impact that it has once it goes global and it gets out there like to the pen community and a whole bunch of people are using them with all different types of paper, all different types of writing conditions. Um, that's a challenge with every, with every pen company, but obviously some have figured it out better than others. So it is something that we try to continue to point companies that, you know, maybe get more of this type of feedback we try to point them and say like, yeah, we know it's hard, but like other companies are doing it. So like try harder. Um, yeah. <laughs> one little point, not to make any excuses, but um, this is something that we always keep in mind whenever we read, you know, critical feedback from any brand, anything online, especially anytime, anytime there's anonymity behind it, 
people are much more brave to say things. We can't even necessarily verify that they've had the specific issues. They might be saying something that they've heard from someone else and the rumor mill can get going. Um, I didn't get that sense necessarily that that's what was happening in Steven's video. That's just like a general thing we have to keep in mind, especially with nibs, especially with certain brands. Visconti, I think, is more of a target than most um, because people have high expectations because they've had some issues in the past. Um, now, I will say, like Steven says in his video, I think we're seeing fewer issues with their newer gold nibs that they're doing more in-house than with their palladium ones, um, which Bach was making. And um, that said, it's still an ongoing process. There's no set it and forget it for the manufacturer of nibs. There's tons of handwork. There's tons of consideration to be made no matter where it comes from. And you kind of have to always be on it. So it's an ongoing conversation we always keep with them. Um, but the thing to keep in mind whenever reading this type of feedback online, um, people are 29 times more likely to share negative feedback than positive feedback. Um, and that's not just an online thing. It's like a just in general, you know, it's like how many times do you think, you know, as you're driving to work or to the grocery store or whatever, and you're like, oh, wow, that person in front of me turned on their turn signal appropriately and gave adequate space and drives perfectly normal versus the person who cuts you off really quickly. You're going to remember that person and it's going to stick out far more than everything else. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. You hear about nibs, you hear about issues that people have. It sticks way more in your mind, especially on expensive pens. So not to discount that at all, but I think especially if you're only seeing these types of comments online or you see videos that people are posting and they're talking a good amount about the issues that they're having, you know, that's where we as a retailer, we, we have some metrics on, you know, how many returns we're getting and how many things like that. Granted, you know, some people have issues and don't reach out to us or they go straight to a Nibmeister. So it's not like we're a perfect, you know, source either, but I think it definitely sometimes can leave more of an impression that there are, there are more issues than there actually are. Or, you know, somebody has one issue 10 years ago and they keep talking about it, keep bringing it up over years and years and years online. And it kind of can just perpetuate certain, um, you know, feedback that gets out there. So anyway, um, that's why we like to receive that feedback directly. That's why when videos like this come out, I was naturally curious. Even before I saw that we came up in it, I just saw that he posted that. And I was like, oh, this seems like a really interesting topic. I'd like to learn this as well. And maybe we can pass this to some of our manufacturers and, and even learn from it ourselves. Um, so that's why I really liked this video. But um, what we like to do is compile this type of feedback. We look, we have our own, obviously, social channels and emails and live chats and all kinds of feedback that we get. And uh, we get direct, you know, responses from customers, good and bad. And then we obviously have like our returns and, you know, real dollars and cents of what gets returned back and what has issues, things that we're testing, things that we're kind of checking in on um, even before stuff goes out. So, um, you know, we are constantly looking to compile that for our distributors and manufacturers and give that the feedback directly because you got to think it's, it's pretty tough. Like Visconti, just using them as an example, because that's who Stephen brought up in this video, they're not a huge company. I think they have like 15 or 20 people working at their facility or something like that. It's not huge. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little bigger than that, but I don't think it's by much. They're not, they're not huge. They're not a massive company, you know, and they're shipping pens all over the world. So it's like, you know, for them to get all this feedback from all over the place, it's really tough. And it's got to kind of go through a network um, of distributors and retailers like us. So we try to always receive that feedback get to the bottom of it as much as we can and then kind of curate that and give them constructive stuff um, when there are issues so it's a considerable amount of time that we spend sometimes to give them that feedback but we always feel it's worthwhile 
because um, we support the same view that Steven's got. Um, that said, we're not nibmeisters. Um, we do check for some things. We can kind of spot check on stuff, especially if it's like a new pen, something we're not as familiar with. Um, or if we know that there's something that is tending to have some issues or whatever, we know that they've made some kind of changes. We're going to check up on things. But, you know, some people have an expectation that like, oh, the retailer, they should just check every pen that goes out like automatically. It's like, mm, that's a lot of time, a lot of labor, not to mention like some companies seal up their pens. Some companies, if we're making adjustments, that's outside their warranty and they don't want us to do that. So it's, we can't just like have a universal across the board policy of like messing with everybody's pens before they go out, nor is that honestly practical um, or affordable for us to do that because it's a ton of labor. Um, and so we, we do spot check things as we can. If there's specific requests, we will try to honor those when we can, but we don't charge for that. We don't guarantee that we can do that. And honestly, since COVID, it's been kind of a disaster for us to do that because we just don't have as many people on site. So um, it's not something that we ever promise or guarantee that we can do, but particularly if it's like with a, a higher end pen, especially if there's something that's like more of a known concern, more of a known issue, really good customer, we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, and we'll always try to communicate that when it's possible. Um, but you know, we basically desperately want to be able to try to check more pens before they go out, but that's really tough. Um, it's still sort of like a band aid solution, honestly, because us as one retailer of maybe, I don't know, a thousand or 10,000 that a major manufacturer may have globally, we're not the ultimate solution. Any issues that there are need to go all the way back up to the manufacturer so that they can fix it. And then nothing that goes out will be, you know, ultimately subpar. So we're always trying to pass that feedback up. Um, so yeah, interesting perspective. If you got time, it's a 10 minute video, so it's, it's worth a look. I want to touch quickly on issue two that he talks about, which is like the uglier, uncomfortable pens. These ones, I think he mentioned like $2,000 plus pens. I think he's talking like the, the heavily themed limited edition ones. Um, and I thought he was honestly pretty spot on. I think I pretty much agree with him. These pens are generally speaking pretty impractical as writing instruments. They're uncomfortable to hold. They're going to be large. The weight and balance is going to be very awkward. They're going to be sharp and pointy and have all kinds of weird, you know, things hanging off of them or whatever. <laughs> I think many of them are novel. You know, I've kind of mixed feelings about this because, you know, Drew, we know because we've seen like Monograppa's factory and we've seen some others where like they do some crazy high-end pens that like I, like actually have like things that function on the pen that like shouldn't even be there. Really. They're just innovating and trying to do some crazy stuff. It is an unreasonable amount of time that it takes to innovate this stuff within a relatively strict format, like a pen. It's a five to six inch long ink stick. You know, <laughs> it has to have ink and nib and stuff in the middle. You only have so much of a shape and so much space to work in. There's only certain materials you can practically use. So to get really creative and innovative, you only have so much that you can do. And so I think that sometimes the practicality of an everyday comfortable writing instrument is absolutely secondary to the aesthetic nature of a heavily themed limited edition pen. I don't think any major pen company would even dispute that. They wouldn't say like, um, you know, just because the monograph of chaos is like one of the most extreme examples of this I yeah, can think of. They weren't, they weren't thinking about ergonomics when they made that. Exactly. That's not the point. And they wouldn't say that. And is that wrong? I don't even think so. Like I, I get that like many people in the pen community, especially somebody, you know, like Steven is using tons and tons of pens. He's writing with pens all the time. Obviously that's going to be heavily on his mind. I don't, you know, yes, obviously fountain pens, they are, you know, I think the Supreme like writing instrument. So obviously you would think that the writing would be like the foremost consideration, but 
you know, I understand that when you get into these really eccentric pens, they're, they're not going to be for everybody. In fact, they're not going to be for most people. So when you get into these heavily themed ones, I actually think it's pretty okay and kind of acceptable for them to be pretty impractical as an everyday writing instrument because I don't know that most people are going to use them for that. I don't think that's the purpose that they serve. I think they're more collectible items. They're art pieces. They can be written with, yes, but I don't think that the practicality of them necessarily should be like the thing that is the foremost driving part of these numbered limited editions. Like maybe they have 40 pieces, 80 pieces, something like that. I think the novelty of it is is acceptable to and, and the comfort of the pen is okay, you know. But I think that there's other ones like Namikis and some of the Sailor Pispokes and stuff like that where they're pretty much always adhering to a format of writing first, comfort, you know, that's very central to those pens. Whereas uh, it seems to be mostly Italian companies that are developing these very eccentric limited editions with all kinds of sharp pointy bits <laughs> that are coming off of them. But I think that's okay. I think it's just, this is not going to be for everybody. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's right, wrong, or otherwise. Just, you know, understand that if you're buying a pen that looks like it could be used as an escape tool for if you drive your car off a bridge, then, you know, it's not going to be the most comfortable thing to hold. <laughs> and that's okay. Just because it's really expensive doesn't mean it has to be. It's, it's just serving a different purpose. So, anyway, that's kind of my take on it. That sounds good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, moving on then, next question we have is from Suna1492. Uh, most important things to do at a pen show and what to avoid. It's going to be my first time in one. Drew, you're the perfect oh. person to ask this because you're yeah. Mr. Mr. Pen Show this year. I was, or this month anyway. Mm. I, I have been to the DC show this month. I will be going to the San Francisco show. When this comment came in, it's possible that Suna1492 was about to go to the DC show or Suna might be getting ready to go to the San Francisco show. Either way, this pencast will air before the San Francisco show. So kind of covering some of the stuff might, in fact, be relevant I think to there's, you. A, there's another show in there, too, isn't there? I think there's another show. It's either Chicago or something. There's another pen show, I think, happening in August. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'll try and find out. All right. But you go ahead. Um, yeah, so... The um the most so most important things to do obviously the most important things to do would be things you can only do at a pen show and not really take a lot of time on doing things that you could do, you know, on an online retailer. You know, so there are like San Francisco for example. I know that a company called uh, Toyoka Craft is going to be there selling these handmade wooden pen boxes. Brad Dowdy at the Pen Addict has one. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous wooden pen storage unit that uh if purchased from toyoka craft in japan would cost an arm and a leg to ship but if you're at the san francisco show you can actually buy one there and just walk it home depending on where you live but so something like that where you can actually purchase something and save on shipping is a good idea or get something in your hands because pilot is usually at the pen shows nowadays and they don't sell anything direct if, if you want to buy something they'll just tell you to go here there or anywhere to get the thing you're looking for however it does provide you the opportunity to get your hands on something like an amiki emperor and actually write with it if you wanted to so before you take the plunge in buying one of these premium namiki pens you could actually have the opportunity to get it in your hands and on the paper so that's also something good that pen shows can do for you and then independent makers as well so yes most independent makers being 
uh, pen turners a lot of the time. But then there are other just, um, you know, machinists and engineers like Ian Schoen, for, for example. You can get most independently made pens on very, very nice websites. However, seeing them in person, getting your hands on them, uh, provide you a different experience because a lot of these pens are made, yes, with the same material, but there's a lot of variations within that material as well or within that style of material. So you do get to pick out the one specifically for you. And if we have a bunch of really crazy swirly pens that we sell, we generally try to take a picture of five of them to just kind of show you the variety. But if you are at a pen show and you do get to see that variety, you can select the one that you like the best. And isn't that really what fountain pens are all about? It's like finding your pen, your nib, your ink. It's a very, very personal experience. And being able to select the exact one that kind of speaks to you is definitely a benefit of going to a show and visiting those independent makers. Not to mention the fact that you actually get to meet the person who made the pen. And they're all delightful human beings. They'll tell you about their process, their inspiration, and again, connecting you more with your writing instrument. And that just, you cannot put a price on that. So that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you can take the, uh, um, take, the take advantage of at a pen show. Uh, classes as well. You can take classes at most pen shows, especially the larger ones for sure. I recently did a class with Aziza from Gourmet Pens at the DC show where we just did inky splatters and messes. She provides you with tools that you can use and all the paper you need. And it was just a ton of fun, especially if you didn't want to spend the whole day on a busy pen floor like San Francisco or DC. It's a nice kind of take a break, get together with a small group of pen friends and then actually go through a learning experience together uh, oftentimes taught by someone really really awesome and knowledgeable so that's that's just delightful um drawings and raffles usually occur at most pen shows as well i recall uh, bert oster at the um baltimore pen show doing a couple raffles and i know that yaffa recently did a raffle at the dc show in fact brian do you know what they raffled at the dc show i have no idea a delta pen like old school Delta? No, new school Delta. Oh, okay. Yes, they 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 gave away the first of the new Delta pens. Wow. Do you want to know who won? I don't know. Did you win? A, a pencast friend of ours named Joe. He really? won. I spoke to him. He's a pen buddy. Listens to us, watches us, or something, and. Uh, it was delightful. We, I, I told him, I was like, yeah, this is, this is like the first one, dude. We don't even have these yet. This is a big deal. It's like, oh my gosh, he had no idea. It was a, it was a really, really thrilling experience. So that's a big deal. Like that's, that's cool. the first Delta since the comeback. So you're able to, uh, I mean, what, what the heck? Usually just by paying admission into the show, you get a ticket. If you stand in the right line to get your raffle ticket, why not? Give it a shot. Um, but I would say the most important thing about a pen show is just enjoying being there and being a part of the community. Talk to some people, make some friends or not. It's honestly just delightful to be within that environment and knowing that uh, you share a common passion with so many wonderful people. So that to me is the most important thing to do is just to enjoy the fact that you are a part of such an awesome community and uh, just kind of sit back and kind of absorb that. That really does provide a, a fuel and energy that uh, I can think can put a smile on most people's faces if they really, really love fountain pens. What do you think, Brian? 
Yeah, I think these are all good points. I had a couple of good points that are going to be talked about in your interview with CY. So I won't touch on those, but some of what didn't come up in that conversation. <clears throat> um, I think that uh, having a budget in mind for going to these things, obviously you're going to be in a room filled with temptation and more pens than you could possibly conceive. Even when we go to a show, I mean, we have a whole warehouse full of pens, but when we go to shows like this, we're seeing... I mean, all kinds of stuff that we don't have, obviously, vintage stuff and things from independent makers and all kinds of really cool accessories and stuff like that. You're going to want everything in the conference room. So um, having some semblance of a budget in mind, some way to discipline yourself, whether it's a number of pens that you want to purchase or monetary budget of some kind um, and limiting yourself to cash. That way you literally can't spend more, like leave your wallet in the car or whatever um, and only bring cash can be helpful if you know that you've got to stick within a certain budget. Um, I recommend that, um, you know, and if you have something like rare or vintage or special or something you're like commissioning from, like say you want to get a, you know, Canalea pen or a Jonathan Brooks or something where like, you know, they're going to be at the show. They're only going to have certain materials, certain pens, and it's not something you can easily get elsewhere. Go to those things first before you go browsing around the rest of the room, especially if you have the the independent makers who are making kind of the one-offs and a lot of them are just like experimenting and trying different things. They may not ever make that style of pen ever again. Go to them first because they're going to sell out of that stuff pretty quickly. If you don't make it to somebody like Jonathan Brooks until two o'clock in the afternoon, he might have one pen left or two pens left. This time was actually a rare occurrence, Brian. Yeah. Uh, he had, he had pens this year. Wow. And I, I thought I talked to him about him. Like I, I couldn't tell if he wasn't selling any or if he just had a bunch. I'm like, Hey, you doing all right? He's like, yeah, I've actually sold a bunch. I just brought a bunch this time. So he was yeah. actually doing okay. Yeah. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not unusual for some of these makers, especially if they haven't done that. Well, I was going to say, if they do a lot of shows, then they're like making pens in between shows and then selling them all at shows. And it's like, they're never able to kind of really keep up or, you know, they might have a, a year long backlog for some custom commission piece. But if they bring some things to the show and you can buy it right then and there. So go to those things first. And then, you know, like the more modern stuff that you can get, like the stuff that we sell, you know, most of the time, unless it's an exclusive, that kind of stuff, you can always usually, you know, find that. That's the kind of stuff that like, I wouldn't worry as much about finding a, that kind of stuff at the show. Go for the more rare special stuff. Um, but get that stuff first and then take your time and browse the other things that are there. Um, I would say wear good shoes. You're going to be on your feet a lot. You're going to be on your feet in some, you know, poorly carpeted, you know, cement cart, you know, whatever floor. It's not going to be cozy. So, and you're going to be leaning over tables and all that kind of stuff. You're going to get tired. So be super comfortable. That's what matters the most. Um, I recommend bringing like snacks, water, just bring like sustenance for yourself these conferences, they're never like made to handle the number of people that are coming through to them. <laughs> even if they have a water fountain, even if they have, you know, the water like jugs or whatever, they're going to run out of cups. They're going to run out of stuff. Like just bring your own stuff. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't want to be like dying of thirst at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I also recommend, honestly, I recommend packing a lunch, even if you're driving there or whatever, just keep it in your car, keep it in your hotel room, just not having to go out and fight traffic in whatever DC or or San Francisco, Boston, pretty much all these shows happen in places where traffic exists. And it's just a huge pain. You miss valuable time at the show. Just go whatever, grab your whatever sandwich you like in your car, be back in 15 minutes and just keep going at it in the show. Um, 
and it'll save you like prime time during those show hours. Um, the other thing I recommend is bring a notebook with you for doing testing because a lot of um, vendors and, and retailers and stuff will have pens that you can write with, different nibs, especially vintage style nibs that you're not going to see easily again, all kinds of obliques and flex and all these weird things. Um, if you bring your own notebook, you know, a lot of them will have notebooks, you know, and things that you can test at their table, but then you're leaving that there. If you bring your own notebook, anything you test and write with, you can have a record of it in your notebook or inks that you swab or test or whatever, you get to keep a record of that. That's a huge resource for you because you're not going to remember it after you write with a hundred pens at a show like that. So have a notebook with you for the, you know, for the show or just write out a segment of your normal use notebook with show things and then write out what pen you're using, the nib type, all that kind of stuff, who you saw the pen with, because you never know, you might fall in love with something and you're like, after you go through the whole show, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that nib that I used, what was that third one? Oh my gosh, I really want that thing. I can't remember what pen it was, where did I see it, whatever. There's, I think there were what, like 350 different vendors at the DC show this year? Like, it's a lot of vendors, a lot of people. You're not going to remember most of that. So write that stuff down, keep it in your own notebook so that you can have records of it um, and you can go back and reference it later on, even if it's far after the show is over. So highly recommended you do that. There you go. So there we go. We're going to have a lot more to cover um, in the next segment here. Well, I'll yeah. let you transition. So, but yeah, more, more uh, to talk about well, the pen shows. But. We've, got, we've got two questions that came along at yeah. the uh, perfect time. So we Renly do. asks, got any good stories and insights from the DC pen show this year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then RL9 asks us, tell us about Tokyo Station Pen's visit. Yeah. So both of these questions can be answered with our next segment which happened to be me and cy talking last week when brian was out of the office or out of i mean you're normally at home anyway but you are out of you were not working at all out of commission yeah you were (laughs) out of out of the city i would have come in Um, to to meet cy i was super disappointed not to because cy traveled all the way here from japan but you know unfortunately i was on family vacation and family first so that's okay uh, we actually managed to whip up something and uh, we did so our office policy right now is when the county that we are in is in high transmission mode regarding covid we do mask indoors unless we are you know have the door shut and you know uh by ourselves so if we're right next to another person policy dictates we do remain masked so the only way i could be in the office with cy to do an interview is if we were both masks and distance apart so mm-hmm. we are going to be masked the audio is not going to be amazing but it'll be fine you'll be able to hear us um and hopefully our eyes are expressive enough for you to get a little bit of emotion expressed there i feel confident in <laughs> that um so mm-hmm. yeah, um, CY is going to cover where you can find him on the social medias here in a bit. But uh, uh, unless we have anything else to cover, Brian, we can move right on into that. Yeah, uh, let's do it. Um, we're going to give CY a big thanks for coming down, seeing our place. We're we're like a solid two two and a half hours south of DC, so it was a bit out of the way to come and see us. But CY was a trooper, came and did that. Even just to see Drew, I wasn't even there, you know. So. Drew seeing Drew is the payoff, which is like just, I don't know. Just is really, Drew. Is it really worth it? But you know, I guess see why I felt it was. Um no, but it was super cool. So I hope y'all really enjoy this. Um, you know, we're trying to trying to incorporate more like non Drew and Brian people into the pencast a little bit as we can. And uh we were able to do that on this segment. So uh, without further ado, they're gonna recap the DC show and a little bit of what the trip was like. All okay. Right. Hey CY, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks a lot, Drew. Just came back from the DC pen show, so it's been an exciting weekend. Me too. Yes, it's I did exciting. see you there. Um, 
However, I, to get to, D, to the DC Pencho, simply needed to drive two hours north. You, you live in Japan, so I do live in Japan. It's not, it's not just two hours north for you. It isn't. So for <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, I go um, by on the internet as Tokyo Station Pens, um, and as the name suggests, I live in Tokyo. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a blast. I live in Pen Heaven, but my parents actually live out here in the DC area. So I thought. That since we had this COVID thing, um, I get the opportunity to visit my parents for more than several weeks. Since no company or no um, humanitarian company <laughs> will say no, you don't get to see your family after four years. So has it been four years? It, uh, it's been four years for me because I don't come every year. Oh wow! Yeah, you haven't seen your mom in four years. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen oh, my wow. parents in four years. So, um, so yeah, I said hey. I'm going to be gone the entire month of August. And especially with this COVID thing, um, this quarantine stuff, you know, you just never know, right? So right. I said, hey, I'm going to be gone for five weeks. And my company said, okay. So I was able to come out here. And of course, I had to time it for both the DC show and the San Francisco show. Not bad. Yep. And so, you know, we always hear about the DC Super Show. It's, it's the biggest show. And we, we got a pen show out in, in Japan, but oh, it's yeah, very, very different. You have a pen show. I mean, yeah. the Tokyo International Pen we Show the is, is the pen other show. big daddy. I mean, basically, you've got DC, San Francisco, and Tokyo. Those are the three probably That's biggest what they ones, say. right? That's what they say. Made it to DC, was able to attend the show, and met a lot of people for the first time in person. Um, because a lot of people know me through my podcast, Tokyo Inklings. A lot right. of people follow me on my Instagram, but they've never really you know, seen me before. At least they might have seen me on video when we do the, the show for the Tokyo International Pen Show, but they've never, I've never seen them. Right, same. And it, yeah. it was, I, honestly, I really like that because some people will come up and say like, hey, sorry, you don't know me. And then they'll mention their name like, oh, no, no, you, you comment regularly. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel, and I, I love that because it takes some yeah. of the pressure off. It's like, yeah. you don't need to bother introducing yourself. Half the work's already done. Yeah. And I, I, I love it. I think that's yeah. great. And, and honestly, it's kind of—I feel kind of the same way because if I see, if I meet somebody who I just know from the YouTube comment section or Instagram, in a way, I feel like I'm getting to meet someone yeah. kind of like a celebrity too. Of yeah. course, they're like, "Oh no, I'm just like, no, you're a." It's really exciting being able to put a yeah. name to the face in a lot of the instances. I think it's super fun. So yeah, no, never worry about coming and say hi, saying hi to me. Odds are, I will be more awkward than you anyway. I, I think the first hug I gave somebody just stepped right on their foot. <laughs> so it was full, full of moments like that. So, you know, yeah. But, you know, Drew, um, I have to say it was, and it must be the same for you as well, it, it's really a humbling experience to be in the same room as people who listen to you. I mean, your po- your podcast, this podcast is once every week, right? For me, it's once every two weeks. Right. But it's really humbling for people to come up to me and say, hey, I listen to your podcast and, and you know, I love the work that you do. It, it makes me feel really appreciated and makes... You know the work, the the effort, and we we spend a lot of time on this, right? Yeah. Uh, and it it does make everything worth it. So I think for those people who are coming up to us at these shows, at these events, and actually telling us that they 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 follow the podcast, they follow the the pencast, that's actually super appreciated by people like us because it really just it's it's very validating and it's very humbling, um, and, and it really shows that we actually make a difference. And I think one of the good things about doing stuff like this, and in general, the stationary industry, when we sell products to other people, we I do feel like we are raising the level 
or or the the quality of life of somebody and in our interactions with these people that actually does come through they say hey you know i got that grind um from you a few years ago i'm using it as a daily driver you know just imagine that understanding hey they're using something that i created for them for you know 600 days and that's what that might be what really makes their day right that that's yeah. that's something that you know, they pick up and they say oh this is going to make me really happy at work today and it, it it just is very humbling it's it's a very beautiful experience and i think so i would definitely say don't hesitate to come up and say hi uh for me behind the table grinding i might be a bit busy but i'll always try to make time to at least shake your hand you know give you a fist bump say right. hi back and that that was interesting because you were doing a bit of double duty at the show me yeah, i was just right. roaming around everywhere but you were trying to uh juggle nib grinding like you had your days fully booked right yeah so you had scheduled you people could sign up and you would grind their nibs so for those of you who don't know cy is a professional nib grinder he can not only do reshaping but uh he also does some welding also some some and that is not a different type of welding from from brian Brian. (laughs) (laughs) yeah if he were to do a nib it would need to be like the size of a dining room table um but you also brought like you said some pens from japan that you can't normally get so you were somehow juggling selling pens and grinding pens simultaneously like you would be grinding somebody's nib and then you'd have somebody come over and be like hey you know what about that you know was that well? Did you? How do you feel like? Because that was your first time doing that, right? right? How right. do you feel like that went for you? Yeah, so definitely a lot um, busier than I expected. Uh, you know, I had my mother help me out at the show. She was fantastic. Uh, really, she was a champion. Um, and she, by day three, learned all of the inks, learned all of the story. Yeah. And I didn't teach her because because she asked me. She's like, "Hey, I need to know this stuff." I said, "Look, I have 170 something SKUs here. I'm not gonna be able to teach you everything." You just have to learn it on the fly. Um, I think if I were to redo, I'd probably have one more person help me and also buy another table because I was one table with nib grinding, selling pens, selling inks. Yeah. But the ink stuff, I could leave it to my mom. Um, It was not that big of a deal. Uh, But definitely the more higher dollar item um, pen stuff, uh, that was difficult. Um, It was difficult to manage because... You know, my mother's not going to have all the answers, so she's going to come to me and be like, hey, you know, do we still have this? And I'm like, oh, no, we don't have it anymore. And not only these three things, I was grinding, uh, selling pens, selling inks, but then also talking to people who say, hey, I don't have grind for you, but I'm just here to say hi. I listen to your podcast. Right. That was, yeah, that was definitely a lot. And I would, yeah, probably get a few more Right. Hands you know what blew my mind was that in keeping with how the show has been and how other pen shows have been, I saw so many nib meisters there. Yep. So many nib grinding professionals. Ten. ten. Oh, man, I, I thought it was more than that. But still, yeah, there was a time where I would go to the DC show and you'd have two. Yeah. Like, what, what what's happening there? Like, what, yeah. do you, what do you think is... The reason behind, and not only that, but you also see, like, I, I've been going to the DC show since probably, like, 2016, 2017, yeah. maybe. Um, and it just gets increasingly younger every year, too. Yeah. Like, the diversity just keeps on growing and growing. And that is happening while simultaneously um, independent pen makers are rising. You see yeah. way more, like, people making their own resin pens. 
and the people grinding nibs are just exploding. Yeah. What, what do you think is happening that could cause that? Yeah, so so I actually think it's um, really interesting. I had a discussion about this with my mother after the show. She said, you know, uh, for her, she might be more of a traditionalist. She'd just use the regular FM and be or whatever came from the factory. Sure, sure. And she asked me, you know, why, did, why would somebody want their nibs ground? And, you know, having given it a bit of thought, I think actually vintage pens probably uh, contributed a lot to the rise of so many nib grinders. And really? you wouldn't think that. No. But um, vintage pens had a lot more variety. And that's true. There were a lot, right? a lot of like a ton of Esterbrook yeah. nibs. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, pen grinding probably, I, I'm not a pen grinding historian, but I think it probably started with a couple of folks with, um, you know, vintage pens that had been dropped or whatever and needed to be repaired. Um, and so, so then there were professional like nib repair people who would sort out these nibs. And sometimes, you know, if you repair a nib, you do need to grind it a bit and get it back to that factory shape. And then probably somebody else said, oh, I really like the feel of this vintage, this vintage um, nib, but uh, I like a modern body. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, hey, can you make my pen feel like, you know, X Esterbrook mm-hmm. nib? And then people started, you know, posting online um, with their, their modern pens with these grinds. Right. And so if you didn't have vintage pens, who would know what a stub is? Who would know what an italic is? Who That's would true. know what, what an architect is, right? So Did they do architects on vintage pens? Um, probably some. Probably I, I, some. Because I thought that was kind of like a more modern thing. Um, I think less over here, mm-hmm. but maybe more in like the Middle Eastern area. Uh, I know, for example, Nagahar calls it uh, the, not the architect, he calls it the Arabic grind. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I have so, heard that. And then uh, you're talking about Nagahara, formerly of Sailor. Yes, yeah. formerly of Sailor. I get to meet him, as I said, um, once every few months. So, That's awesome. So we get to, to chat about this stuff as well. But, um, but yeah, I think, ironically, vintage pens probably played a big role in the rise of there being so many nib grinders. And then as more people were introduced to nib grinds, um, and it, it definitely took probably some pioneers, but as that spread and then as you had more custom pen makers i'm sure you know as well but then what a fountain pen is is not just a writing mm-hmm. instrument but it's an exact precision instrument that does what you needed to do it became a very personal item to you and who doesn't like that you know yeah i think that's one of the main reasons fountain pens are yeah. as popular as they are right now is because yeah. they are so personal it's yeah. your pen your nib your ink yep. your paper in a lot of ways yeah and your yeah that that's super personal um having been to one of the big 3 the tokyo right, international right. pen show and then coming to dc for the first right. time were there any surprises or was it about what you expected yeah um so i think i've heard a lot of rumors about DC being, you know, the largest show in the world. And I would say definitely by vendor number. Yeah. Definitely. I think there were almost 350 vendors out in DC. You know, the the halls were packed. They were, yeah. And um, it's definitely a very, very different vibe. So there are fewer vendors in Tokyo? There are definitely fewer vendors. And um, I'll talk about Tokyo in a bit. But I think uh, for DC, it was definitely... Um, a lot of vintage focus, a lot of European brand focus, and a lot of individual vendors. Um, yeah, a lot of um, you. D- you had, of course, you know, 
the big reps coming like mm-hmm. uh, Itoya, you had um, Pilot, you had you know Estabrook. But for the most part, most of the tables were individual. Vendors, yeah, a right? lot of uh, vintage trading too. Yeah. Do they do they do vintage pens at Tokyo? So in the Tokyo show, it's almost no vintage pens. Really? Only one or two tables of vintage. Really? Yeah, and that that's usually done by Mr. Pilot and um and Morrison of Wagner. But otherwise, I've heard you talk about Morrison yeah. uh, in your on your podcast before. Yeah, he's the he's like the head honcho of the local group there. But otherwise, it's mostly retail stores. It would be like Goulet pens. It would be like uh, Anderson pens. Really? showing, And then they, they would be there showing their exclusive pens or their exclusive inks. But it's much more professional. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's... I, I, DC's a lot of things. Professional doesn't <laughs> come to mind immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I will say is that I had expected... Um, I guess I I had expected there to be uh, more of a crowd that would value some of the vintage stuff from Japan, whereas I I did feel like coming to the show, uh, most people were more interested in the U.S. and European vintage products. Yeah, you don't see like when you look at vintage stuff at DC, it's I I rarely see any vintage Japanese stuff. Yeah. Yeah, very rarely. I don't know why that is. Like it, for the longest time, Pilot has been such a mainstay, including Platinum and Sailor has been such a such a mainstay in the industry. What do you have there? Well, I had this um, black stripe Pilot. What is uh, what is what? This is a um, nine. I want to say nineteen seventy three Pilot Capless. Uh-huh. So one of the original Caplesses. It's got. The design language of the, one of the first um, pilot customs. Yes, and it's it's kind of a it's actually black acid etched. It's not enamel. It, it won't come off. Do you see that? Is that the same sort of style they used in the earlier uh, like Muse and the Murexes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was really about that time. This pen is quite sought after, uh, especially on the online Japanese pen community. And I see that you still have it in your possession. I think it was only picked <laughs> up. It was only picked up twice. Not even you know people buying or not. Like, people didn't even notice it. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, front and center. So so I was a little bit surprised about that, to be honest. That is um, interesting. I had this flat top uh, 74 again. I did see that. Right? It's uh, it's not a very common pen. That's a beautiful pen. Um, but, again... I, I would love it if uh, the... This set... was never picked up. That's crazy. So that I was a bit surprised at. A lot of the sailors that I brought, um, pretty rare stuff. If I posted on Instagram, it would be gone within, like, two hours. That was there until saturday afternoon goodness do you expect something different uh when you go to the san francisco show here coming up i think the san francisco show is probably uh from what i understand of the demographics probably more oriented to modern pens and more oriented to like the japanese scene i guess we'll find out yeah i guess we will but i'm also going to yoseka so that's definitely going to be very you know um the the people who go there will know everything that i bring right um so yeah i mean i'm very excited i'm also going to be going to drum goals this weekend mm-hmm. so it's, it's really exciting and i brought i brought a few well, when this when this airs you will have already been there yeah I'll, i've already been there <laughs> um but yeah i brought a few store exclusive uh, namiki emperors and you know, those caught a lot of attention but nobody really asked for like pricing so yeah i was i was a little bit surprised um that l- there was definitely less transacting going on than I would have liked. But at the same time, um, 
it was my first time showing at a show. So that was a huge learning experience. Um, I didn't leave my table at all. I mean, honestly, I didn't go to the DC Pen Show. I went to table 76. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Man. Um, what was like, oh man, yeah, I'm, I almost wanted to ask you your favorite part, but you re- didn't really get to experience a lot of the show. Well, my favorite part definitely would have been um, people who, again, came over and said hi. Um, you know, some people wanted to take pictures, always very happy to oblige. Um, but yeah, meeting, meeting listeners, meeting people who've been following my work. And a lot of people came up to me, they, they booked slots with me and they said, you know, I've been waiting to get a pen from you uh, or get a pen done from you. But you know, shipping to and forth from Japan, that's not really exactly cost effective. And so I'm so happy to be able to you know, get this done by you. And that was, again, very, very humbling. That was very, uh, that was, yeah, it, it was, it was a surreal experience. I um, bet, because I mean, you guys have, you, your, your podcast is about Japanese yes. pen companies. Yes. But it's not specifically for Japanese pen audiences. I mean, certainly yes. it can be, but. Right. You, I believe you've said that you and your part, podcast partner Jacob are doing this as in a for way the overseas audience. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a service to help educate folks like me who exactly, yeah. need that insight. And yeah. you're both exceptionally good English speakers. <laughs> Thank you. Like I, you, you know, there's so it's a really easy way to understand yeah. some of the um, details that don't get shared yeah. otherwise. Yeah. So I'm willing to bet that your audience is over here and you don't get to yeah. ever interact with them on yeah. kind of an in-person basis. So this was probably a, just a big influx of positivity yeah. for you. Absolutely. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm floored by uh, everybody who, who came over. Um, I expected like maybe a couple people. Oh no. But it was, it I was brought, non-stop. I think I, I brought like, man, I, I, I told everybody that I would have pencast stickers for them. Right. I brought 20 pencast stickers. Which and I didn't receive. I did. I ran out. I can get you one though. Um, I and then probably like another twenty, uh, just random corgi hamster yeah. stickers. All of them were gone day one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so many people, and yeah. I mean, it was my joy to just you know hand them out like crazy. But it was so many people. Yeah. Um, and it's not a bother at all, right? No, like, God, it's, no. It's not I, a bother. I'll bring more next time for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, yeah, I, I agree. It was it was absolutely the people, and I, I'm an introvert by nature. But when I'm there and I'm surrounded by just the, the the joy and the positivity and just the energy overall, it just I might as well be the biggest extrovert in the world because it just fuels me. I'm in the best mood. I'm just smiling all day long. And there's something kind of magical about how a lot of us are the fountain pen person in their friend group, right? You know, it's not every day that you'll meet a person who's a fan of fountain pens and they also have three other friends that are yep. also a fan of fountain pens. But when they come to a show like this, yep. they're instantly surrounded yeah. by people who are that pen friend. Absolutely. And even, whether or not whether you're introverted or not, um, you just instantly have this connection. Yeah. You can talk to anybody in this gigantic ballroom about something and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. You don't have to explain what a fountain pen is to anybody. <laughs> There's just this connection. And just, Why your hands are inky. Oh, go, gosh. You, you, is that blood on your hands? Or is that- <laughs> I mean, ox blood, maybe. Um, but you walk in, and even if you don't talk to anybody, just there's something about knowing that you could yeah. talk to anybody. And I think that is just so comfortable yeah. and just 
I don't know. It, it really is magical. I think that's fantastic. Although I, I have to say that it should be a law for people to also have their social handles on their badges. Yeah, they because... they, didn't, they I, when I walked in. So the first day, like I had paid for the weekend right. ticket, and I walked in. No one checked my anything. Yeah. I just kind of just walked in. I'm like, all right, well, I guess. I mean, um, I know yeah. I paid. And then the second day, I saw there was a line, so I said, okay, well, might as well stand in this line. <laughs> and they were handing out like like silicone wristbands. Right, right. And so I figured, well, I didn't get checked in yesterday. Let me do my do the right thing, you right. know. And then I stood in that line, and then when I got there, she couldn't find my information. Right. And I just said, yeah, I've got a, a weekend pass. And she said, oh, Don't okay, you're you know fine. who I am? <laughs> you're fine. Go ahead. Go on in. I'm like, oh, okay. They're like, last name? Brown? Drew? And <laughs> and then she didn't give me a wristband. She's like, oh, well, you're fine then. Go on in. And so I don't know yeah. what that line was for. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. But, but they definitely... Happened. That did not give me any one. sort of badge or tag or anything. I saw some people had little yeah. things, but I didn't I don't know where to get them. I mean, um the first day we got there, uh Thursday morning, uh there was a line because you know the entrance opens at ten. A line for a, the a line to go in. Okay. Um and I didn't know if I had to line up or not, so I just stood in the line and then um Ben Walsh of Gravitas Pens came down. And we were saying, yeah, do we have to line up? Do we not have to line up? <laughs> you're not doing. You're not doing the accent. Uh, uh, do we have to line up? Or <laughs> anyway, so so then we just walked in, realized nobody was. Well, no wonder the line wasn't moving because nobody was at the registration. Oh my god! So we waited for like ten minutes. We're like, oh well, nobody's at the registration. So we just walked right in. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's not. It's not the most organized thing in yeah, the world. But um, but you know what? Or running an event with 350 plus oh vendors. God. That's a nightmare. So I, I still give props to to the folks, um, Barbara, who who ran the show. Uh, it wasn't perfect, absolutely, but I'm glad that it happened. Yes. Um, and yeah. once you get everybody in there, yeah. it's like kind of like once you get the vendors in there, they kind of take yeah. charge of their yeah. own little zones, and everybody right. plays their part, and yeah. they all kind of work together. Absolutely. To, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a, a a collective organization. Yeah. Rather than one person controlling yeah. all of it, you know. And you know, the vendors they they know what to do. Um, I mean, I was a first-time vendor, but most people have probably been there for, for many, many years. So they know how to control the crowd uh, out on their table. So, yeah. Did it blow your mind at all how much international representation was there? I mean, you came from Japan. You had Appleboom from uh, the Netherlands. Ben Walsh, like you're saying, he came from Ireland. Yeah. Uh, that, that consistently blows my mind. Galen Leather was there from Turkey. Yep. Just It's almost you couldn't look in one spot and not pick out somebody. Yeah. That uh, wasn't from the U.S. A lot of French speakers. Um, oh, really? At the show. I yeah. don't think I saw any French. Well, I used to live in France, so I, when I heard oh, you, French, you pick I'm it like, up. Oh, French uh, people. I have a French people radar. Nice. Um, there were Italians um, right behind my table. Actually. Really? Yeah. So, so I miss I miss both those. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, lots of. I mean, I was talking to one of the the Turkish uh, vendors, and they said, you know, they had um, them, their their wife, and. Uh, and their son all come out over. Wow. Uh, and it was like a $3,000 oh um, for them to come out over. But because they were also selling at the show, they were able to get some back. And usually they sell on Etsy. Um, but Etsy now takes massive margins, right? So being able to I've heard that. sell in person, I think they said they sold like, you know, um, you know, 40 pence, 30 pence in a day. And that really then helps recoup the cost and then they get to be in that show environment and what they said to me was that you know 
when they started off being into fountain pens, they would never have imagined that they would be able to attend the DC pen show because it's always, you know, lauded as the biggest pen, the super show. But, um, but being a vendor really gave them that opportunity and then they get to stay in the U.S. for another week, go up to New York, do some sightseeing, and then go home. There you go. Yeah. Well, at this point, the San Francisco Pen Show is pretty much, you know, we're looking down the road at that. That's yep. going to be happening at the end of August. Yep. Uh, this should publish before that show happens. So you will be there. I will be there. I will be there. You will be there. Is knowing now what you know, um, and, you know, having been to D.C., uh, what would you... What would be like a piece of advice you would give potential attendees, either that are considering San Francisco or maybe considering D.C. next right. year? Like, you know, is yeah. is a pen show worth it? Are there any do's and don'ts like yeah. or, you know, anything that uh, folks should keep in mind? Um, if you are looking to get nib work done, do not wait for the day of the show. That's a good point. Because you will not get any nib work done. Even with 10 vendors, you were yeah. booked solid, right? Yep. You did not have any walk-in nope. time. Nope. I had one day where I got to eat lunch. Oh, my God. But that's because I booked 30 minutes I saw you for scarf- myself. I saw you scarfing a sandwich like for five seconds yeah. one time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, bring water. Oh. Uh, I definitely say bring water. I didn't do that. Um yeah, you you might get thirsty in the show, and, and they I, they have like these these cups. I did, I did. I went up into my room and got some coffee. Yeah, <laughs> it was um, not great. <laughs> if you can stay at the show hotel, if that's something that you can financially uh, afford, I think that is something that you can consider. And generally, if you book early enough, there's usually a discounted show rate. Yes. By now, San Francisco's discounted show rate is long gone. Yeah. But um, if you book early enough, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Well, one of the vendors, I won't say who. Um, they didn't know that there was a show rate, so they booked the regular rate for like six days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And so. the, the San Francisco hotel is more expensive than DC. Yeah. Um, otherwise, bring cash. Oh yes, cash is preferred. Yes, because you don't know who accepts cash or not, and yeah. honestly, the uh, the Wi-Fi in hotels not always great. Yeah. If you're doing Venmo or something yeah. like that, um, ask if. It is the final price. Oh. Uh, because you know I have a leeway in terms of my pricing. Oh. Um, and if you ask if I can do a better price on, not inks, because that, that's harder to do, but if you have like a pen that you have, you know, maybe I might just give it to you at a, at a price that you offer me. Actually, this happened on day one. Um, John of St. John's came to me. Uh, he asked me what the price was. And he said, can I make you an offer, a counteroffer of, you know, whatever price. And then I gave him a counter-counteroffer. Oh, God. And then he said, let's meet in the middle. Oh, then we made a anxious. deal. So, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, make me an offer. Uh, and sometimes, because I know the margins, you don't know the margins, right? But I know the margins, and I think that can be acceptable. I'll be able to make my money back. Sure. Might go for it. Um, yeah. Especially if you pay in cash. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Well, that sounds that sounds great. Now, I, I will say just you know as as a final thought, it to me is definitely worth attending these things for the reasons that we both mentioned. I think that the community is more alive than it ever has yeah. been. Like you just feel it. It just it, it. I think it's an energizing atmosphere to be in. You can almost guarantee yep. to meet at least one new friend. And I mean, taking the qualitative kind of view aside 
if you look at the numbers, right? Uh, when I joined the Found Pen Reddit in 2018, it was like 80,000 people. I think it's tripled since then. So you, that's, that's a lot of people who are new to Fountain Pens, and you're not going to be the newest one. I met somebody who's just started collecting in April and has 150 pens now. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it's okay. You're not the only one. You're not the weird one out. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I do think it's worth to go to a pen show. It doesn't necessarily have to be DC. DC right. is obviously one of the bigger ones. It is. But, um, but yeah, get out to a pen show and meet some of you know your people. And most people are really, really nice. Um, but I also want to contrast this to the Tokyo show. As I said, um, f- from, a, from a participant's point of view, I think it's more uh, st- structured. Um, the vendors are mostly you know retailers. But from a vendor point of view, what's interesting is that, so the DC show, I didn't know my assigned table until the day before. So that, Thursday. That, that is not the first time that has yeah, happened. The Thursday, I found on my table. On Friday morning, I found on my table had been changed. Not to, not, it was still a table that wasn't like a chair. It was a corner table. Okay, good. But when I got there, I realized we didn't have electricity. Ah. So I had a customer coming in an hour, right? And I was like, oh, what do I do? In contrast does, does, to that, does your grinder have like a hand crank? I, I, I have a I have a wireless one that I can use. Oh, do yeah, you? That's my backup. But um, yeah, I, it's it's definitely not the first choice. Oh God, no! Because the, the power level is different, so I have to kind of mentally adjust. Oh geez. In contrast to that, the Tokyo show, four months prior to show open, sent us a seventy-page handbook <laughs> by email. And then they call a two-hour meeting. And I thought this meeting, because it's a vendor meeting, I thought it must be important. They might be, like, you know, telling us the do's and don'ts, maybe where our tables are. Right. Um, so, so I attend the meeting, and it turns out they wanted to read the handbook line by line to us to make sure that we understood each line correctly. I hope you didn't already read it. I did already read it. You the whole seventy-page book? They sent me a handbook. I won't oh read your gosh. emails. Right? You read the whole thing twice. I read the whole thing, and then we came in, and then they had, oh. you know, really reading line by line. Oh my god! Each one. I mean, that's great for an organization. So that's that's very very different from DC different. to Tokyo. Then I, I feel like the best is probably a happy medium in between. Probably, probably like maybe yeah. not reading 140 pages worth of handbook, yep. but then also knowing where your table is and yep. having access to power, like somewhere yep. in between those very, very large yeah. extremes. Well, it was it was like a more like um, uh, you can send your stuff by mail to this address, but you have to come through this door. Um, so it was very, very detailed. I plan on just bringing my stuff in with a suitcase, so I didn't really listen to that much of it. But yeah, very, very detailed. Uh, and if you miss the vendor's meeting, no problem. Obviously, there's a recording for you to watch. Oh, yay. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's very different in terms of organization. We have volunteers at the Tokyo Pen Show, probably 20 to 30 volunteers who can guide people. And the Tokyo Pen Show, um, af- after COVID especially, is blocked into different time sections. So your ticket allows you to go in the morning, but not the afternoon. For example, huh. so um, so that helps control the amount of people in the room. Oh wow, that sounds very organized. And then you have QR codes where you just scan in uh, to the event. Yeah, dang. See what we're doing now is learning a little bit of a little bit. the 
you know, Japanese pen yeah. world from our friends Ewa. And this and this is if you if you did want to check out Tokyo Inklings, uh, wherever you can find your podcast, you can get more of CY and his partner Jacob, who is equally knowledgeable about such things. And then uh, where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, they can find me, uh, or you can find me on um, Instagram at Tokyo Station Pens. Uh, same on TikTok, on Twitter at Tokyo Station MNH, and I have a website at TokyoStationPens.com. Our podcast is Tokyo Inklings. We are an audio-only podcast, and we record and publish every two weeks. Fantastic. All right. Thank well, you thank you, you much. so much, CY. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. I'll hopefully talk to you soon. You'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thank you again, CY. That was delightful having you here with us and uh, covering a little bit of what happened at the DC show. And I think I have to say... Another thing you definitely will want to pay attention to in regards to the DC Pin Show are nib professionals like CY, like the many other nib professionals that we mentioned were there in attendance at DC. And the beautiful thing, Brian, is there seems to be more and more nib grinders every year at these big shows, which is really exciting. And in my opinion, really, uh, in, like I don't know, it makes me really optimistic about the growing uh, vibe of the the the, the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Because they wouldn't be able to sustain all of the, you know, they wouldn't be able to have all these full dance cards for these big shows if the hobby was, you know, dying a sad, miserable death, right? Well, it's funny because when we, you know, part of the whole fountain pen awareness came about when I went to the DC show in 2009. And, you know, Rachel and I were vendors there once ever at a pen show in 2010. I remember the pictures with you wearing that that. It was exhausting. Back, back brace lifting thing. Yep. We carried so much. Yeah, we carried. We we brought so much stuff. It was I all feel like we still have some of those Rubbermaid containers in the warehouse. Oh, like for sure, we do. Yeah. Some of the blue and green ones. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I have some of those at home too that have like random like kids, old kids' clothes and stuff stored in them. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, we don't do the we don't do the vendor aspect of it, like actually selling at shows. Um, but there's definitely like an energy to them and, and all that kind of stuff. Where was I going with all this? Where did I, why did I bring this up? I was talking about the nib grinders and how oh, yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like it's positive. Yeah, I mean, literally like the first, I don't know, five to eight years of going to these shows, every every like manufacturer, or every distributor who we work with on a regular basis, they were all just like, oh man, this industry, I don't even know if we're going to be here in five years. Like just the the whole morale around like the show culture and just like where things were going was like not very optimistic from people that had been in it for quite a while. You know, it seemed like the community was aging. Not a lot of new people were getting into it. Obviously that's turned the rise of social media and the internet and education and the kind of stuff that we're involved in. Not to say that like we had anything to do with it, but obviously we've been heavily involved in that new wave that's bringing it to a new whole new generation of, of fountain pen users. And I think you're seeing that now physically reflected at shows, just the energy that's there, the people that are there, the community aspect of it. It's uh, it's got a whole new breath of life in it. I was and super, some- super sad to miss it this year. I was conflicted, but you know, just hearing from you and, and see why and others is just like how much energy was there. It's like, Oh man, that's so just, it just warms my soul to see so many people really being excited about pens and the community and, and all that. And there was a time where I think that most Nibmeisters were, were of a previous generation as well. And now I would say the majority of new professionals at a show like DC are young people for, mm-hmm. you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. And that's really exciting to me. It just it shows that I think that the 
the fandom, the you know hobby base is growing and alive and well. And yeah, yeah, always excited. I think this was my favorite pen show yet, but I think that has a lot to do with the uh, relationships that I'm continuing to, to develop yeah. and the people that I continue to meet and seeing pen friends like you know Joe who won the Delta. And a bunch of other people that I see all the time in the comments, and I feel like I already know you when I see you at the shows. It's yeah. such an exciting thing, and it really gets me jazzed up. And seeing people who I felt like were fountain pen celebrities, getting to meet um, people from Apple Boom, like CY, you know, even over Frank, Franklin Kristoff's table, uh, yeah. anybody. Like, there are all these people I know from social media, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're that guy. And, uh, sometimes I say the same thing about me, but either way, it's like half the work's done because we all kind of already know everybody, and yeah. uh, that's just, that's just a really exciting thing. And the uh, the connections are just beyond, you know, uh, it's just something very very special and amazing about it. So Absolutely. I definitely encourage if you do have the opportunity uh, to go check it out, please do. Absolutely. Um, right. I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. CY yeah. plugged uh, plugged his social media's thing, so we got yep. that out of the way. Mm-hmm. We will be having CY back to answer some pencast questions in a couple week mm-hmm. weeks, and next week, if all goes according to plan, we will have another special guest that, if you were following our Instagrams, you noticed stopped by kind of recently. So, yes. We had a lot of activity around the DC show because we're not yes, we did. super, super far. Like we're close enough where people could visit. So we had a, several people who wanted to visit right around the time of the show, which was like, ah, I got family vacation and all that. Like I'll fit in what I can. But we were able to make that happen for several several people. So that's cool. That's right. All right. Um, Drew, we got to talk about what's happening because we, we have not done the personal segment of this in a couple of weeks now. So what the heck is going on in your life, man? Well, in my life, Brian, so I left the DC, I left for the DC show right after my wife had her concert, which she absolutely killed, by the way. Like, she just, I, I, I could go on about all the different reasons I'm just absolutely head over heels over this woman, but <laughs> she just got up there. It was a one-woman show. She just sang her heart out. It had the whole audience just enraptured with her charm. I just, mm. She's a delightful human, and she just killed it. I'm so proud of her, um, and largely due to the fact that I am—I would absolutely crumble into a puddle of fright and terror if I were ever put in that position. So she is much more brave and courageous than I am. It's still so funny um, to me because, like, literally, we're talking in front of thousands of people. There's nobody there, though. That's week. just a camera. I'm just in a tiny little dark room. Is, like, it, like the, is it the live aspect of it that like freaks it's, you it's out? The, it's the it's the performance. Honestly, if I if I had to get if you if I was up on stage and somebody was like started saying about why, you know, video games are stupid, then I would need everybody to shut up and listen to me and I would just mm. go on until they told me to shut up. But if someone mm. told me to perform, if mm. it became a performance, that's when I shut down. Okay. That's when I I get cold feet and I can my mouth dries out and that's terrible. Mm. Um so it kind of has to be I guess spur of the moment. But anyway, hmm. she she did a great job. I got up to DC pretty late, about twelve thirty, but I uh have a tried and true strategy of driving at night, and that is just to continue shoveling snacks into my face. So <laughs> I had a big bag of Cheez Its and some coffee and oh. it was a delightful drive, I must say. So Cheez Its no. and coffee, that's an interesting combo there. It's it's a it's a tried and true combo. Um, okay, okay. They don't. I won't say they go well together, but they don't clash either. They're just they're they're fine. They, I mean, I know you're you're a coffee fan anyway, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Are cheese? It's like a good go to 
road food for you, like road tripping food? Uh, so it might, it might surprise you. Because you, you have feelings about this, I know. This has come well, up before. I, I, my snack, my road snacks have to have a process involved with them. Gummy bears are fine because I'll bite the heads off, bite the little feet and arms off, or nerd rope is good because I'll bite all the little nerds off of the sticky core and then eat the sticky core afterwards. It has to be a process because it keeps my mind engaged, focused, and alert. So with Cheez-Its, um, they have those kind of like, kind of air pockets in them, you know? Um, so you can eat them in sort of a process. You don't, like, I don't just like, crunch it's a bit of a process i like kind of find the little air pockets in the cheese it's and kind of you know burst all those little cracker bubbles <laughs> okay okay so I, I yeah hear you, i hear you cheese it's are one that have have a process um i, I do something similar so. with like goldfish you know not that dissimilar from cheese it's yes but, exactly uh, goldfish are great do you ever do you ever try to bisect the goldfish oh absolutely yeah well, there you the go time. see yeah exactly and see that's good because that like keeps your mind engaged like Ex- while you're exactly on the road. i'm so glad you understand yes 100%. i do understand i have processes so, for certain foods not all of yes, them but certain ones yes yeah. so that will actually keep me awake i'm not even kidding mm. it's just it's uh it's you're you're doing an action with your hand and so even in the dark in the rain like which is kind of a recipe for falling asleep at the wheel hmm. um i was totally good so and it wasn't like super late i mean it's yeah. only like 11 30 12 30 yeah yeah so got got through the pen show that was fantastic again i had i had um lunch dinner with some absolutely amazing people uh kind of met friends i felt like i already knew it was hmm. absolutely amazing um delightful human beings that I love to death. And then we got back um, like this past weekend. We went to Maymont Park, which is a park downtown in Richmond, Virginia, and just mm-hmm. kind of walked around. It was a very, very nice day. Mm. We're like, oh, we should go somewhere. So we went outside and got in the car and we're like, oh, wait, it's hot now. Something happened Uh-oh. and it just got hot. Mm. So we went, to, we went to Maymont, walked around so much. Mm. Um, got tired, got hot. And by yep. the end of it, we were just like so done. Mm. But it was it was very pretty. It was a very pretty day, um, despite uh, the heat and the exhaustion, and just being reminded how out of shape I am. It's a very hilly um, park. Very hilly park too. There's a lot. Of, yes, it is. A lot of elevation changes going on in that park. That is true. Yeah, you are correct about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally decided to stop my second playthrough of Red Dead Redemption Two. Which uh, I could, yeah, I could play that game forever because there's just an infinite amount of things to do. So I finally put it down and I started replaying a game called Horizon Zero Dawn, which is um, kind of a post-apocalyptic game, but not like everything's. It sounds kind of like that vibe. It's 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 pretty though. It's not like everything's a sad wasteland. It's like you know, it's like a tribal jungle sort of setting, and but okay. there are there are certain hints that maybe a uh, high-tech civilization might have once existed. Mm. So you're kind of uncovering that sort of deal. So okay. it's not like scary post-apocalyptic. And you, not like you, Mad it, Max type of pop- no, 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 yeah. no. So it's a, it's a really cool game. And I have beaten it before, but I wanted, there's a new one, so I wanted to kind of replay the old one to kind of refresh my memory of the storyline. So Cool. Um, that's such a good game. So I'm replaying that. And then um, uh I oh we went swimming at our friend Josh and Jeffrey's house and Archer kind of learned how to swim. It you know we've we've been going there for a couple years now and this past weekend he kind of you know he can he can survive now. Like I I feel like if he fell in the water yes. he wouldn't die instantly. That's so. a milestone. That's like we we did swim lessons for our kids for a little bit and it was like my goal is to like not have them drown if they end up falling into a body of water somewhere. 
I'm not right. trying to get them on swim team. Not trying to get them to do anything crazy. You just want like right now. I don't. Know. He wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't last long. But he'd last long enough. He wouldn't just sink yeah. like a rock. So right. I call that progress. I call <laughs> yeah. that an achievement. So that was really cool. Very very proud of him. That was an exciting moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of it was just kind of recouping. So just like this week, just recovering from uh, that whole event, and then. Um, Honestly, normally when you're out, Brian, it's a boring week and I have like a lot of spare time. I did not last week, man. It was busy. Yeah. It was big. by Friday. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to, he's going to be like, Drew, what'd you do, man? I wouldn't even, we, <laughs> we, we, we canceled like three meetings. What'd you do all week? I should, I feel like, I wish I could have like retroactively gone and like done a time audit. I know you're not going to fuss at me about that, but still I was like, God, what the heck happened? It was, I thought I'd have more time and it just didn't weird, man. But uh, one cool thing that I forgot to mention to you about the DC show, you know, hmm. um, so Dan wrote in and sent us a picture of an actual astronaut's glove writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Dan at the show. That's awesome. And guess, guess what he had with him? Did he have the glove with him? He had the glove. Oh he gosh. brought the glove. He saw me. It was down at, it was down in the, in the dungeon right in front of Ian Schoen's table. And, uh, I, I, I actually recognized him because of his little um, Google image. And uh, I was like, I know you. And he was like, wait, what? (laughs) But we talked forever about space stuff. It was fantastic. And I actually got to try on the glove and I got a picture with him. It was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. Like, there were so many great moments like that where I was able to just kind of re-meet people that I feel like I've already met here, you know? It is so, weird. Uh, like we deal with each other online. I feel like, especially with COVID life too, it's like been dealing virtually with people who we even normally would have been together in person that when you actually do meet in person, you're just, it's always just like, wow, this is so different than looking at a 2d screen. But yeah. Right. Cool. And there was, there was, there was um, one person, uh, fiddle twist on the, in the comment section. I didn't even know that I met her until after she commented on YouTube. Be like, it was a nice medium. Like, wait, you were fiddled to us? I'm like, oh my God. You know, mm. so I, they're, they're, they do. That one is tough thing, when people don't have their avatars. Right. You know, or their names, screen names or whatever. Yeah. That's what CY mentioned in the video that mm. everybody should have badges because I would definitely be recognizing a lot of names, I think. That's true. That's true. So anyway, it, it was excellent. I had a lot of good downtime. Happy to have you back, though. Glad, glad you're back here with us. Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah. Absolutely. How was your time off? Uh, time off was good. Uh, you know, so I took off basically like the latter half of Monday through the rest of the week. Um, and so Rachel's parents have some neighbors up there who are like longtime family friends that they have a lake house. So we, as basically Rachel's whole side of the family, we did this last year and then we did it again this year. We basically got to stay in their, in their lake house, which is cool. You know, so it's, a. Uh, it's, uh, you know, lakes about three hours away. It's kind of in the mountains, which, you know, for me personally, I'm like, I would rather be at a lake instead of the beach like any day of the week. 100%. Like beach, beaches are great. But to me, after, for me, like after one day, it's old. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm ready to do something else. You know, I like I like having more of a diversity of, of things to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I also... Well, we don't live near any like amazing beaches. I mean, we're, we're in Virginia beach, which is fine. Um, and it's in a, it's a pretty good beach, but it's not like it an is, amazing it's, beach. It's, it's a very metropolitan beach. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty touristy. Like most yeah. East coast beaches, but you know, the water's not like super tropical or anything like that. It's not like great for like surfing. Not that I would do that anyway, probably. <laughs> um, cause I can't even float, but 
Um, no, it was cool. It was cool getting to like swim in the lake and, and stuff like that was cool. My kids, you know, they're older now and they can swim, you know, sustainably ish. Even still, they mostly had life jackets on because they just didn't feel like actually working that much. They just wanted to yeah. play. And they have younger cousins. So the younger cousins were wearing floaties and noodles and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty great. And, um, you know, got to do plenty of that, got to do all kinds of just activities with the family. Um, there was like meteor showers and stuff like that. So when it got dark, we were out there like watching for meteors and just having good conversation as a family and all that kind of stuff. Um, really, really good time. Um, what else did we do? We, um, did some kayaking. Drew, I know you're a, you're a yacker. You did. I didn't, have you? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember. I, this might be my first time kayaking. Maybe, maybe I did it. I, I might've done it at like a summer camp when I was like 14, 15, but I couldn't, what'd you think? I couldn't quite recall whether I canoed or kayaked or whatever. I mean, it was, it was great. I loved it. I loved it. I, maybe not surprisingly, I was a little bit big for the kayak. Um, my legs are very long. And so for me to fit inside a kayak, um, I, like most things, um, am moderately atypical in terms of my leg length. So it wasn't the absolute most comfortable thing leg wise, but I mean, I loved it because I was like, I don't like doing vacations where you're just sitting around all the time because then all I do is eat. And I, I mean, I quite literally have gained like 10 pounds on a week long vacation before at various times. That's Um, impressive. It's not good, but you know, I just, I love food. And if I'm not moving around my natural state is I gain weight. So my, my favorite thing, my favorite like junk food for vacations is Mm. a barrel of cheese balls. Ooh, there you go. Like I am, if it, it's like a beach tradition. If I'm going to a beach house, I'm bringing a bucket of cheese balls. Like, oh, and that's a very inefficient, like space wise, a very inefficient food to bring with you. Cause it's just Oh, like, well, I mean, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm, do you buy I it there? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It. We'll buy okay. it there. Yeah. 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 But a we, big, big yeah, old tub we, of Utz food, uh, cheese balls. Oh. See this, what was cool about this vacation? Like, because we had done this before with Rachel's family last year. And th- I mean, last year, this was like the first thing we had done since COVID hit. So it was like we would have gone just about anywhere just to get out of our house. And yeah. So it was great, but it was like a new place and there's not a lot of restaurants and stuff around the lake where we were at. So uh, we basically had to cook all of our own meals, which, you know, it takes more coordination, especially with, we had 10 people in the house and kids with all their weird preferences. And there's all kinds of dietary needs on Rachel's side of the family. So um, we ended up planning a lot of meals and, and it was cool because like basically everything that we had planned last year, we were able to like, probably 80% of it, we could just like copy paste the same like shopping list and packing list and all that kind of stuff. So it just felt like less work. You know, I know, you know, it's like bringing a kid anywhere is just like, it, it doesn't really feel like a vacation. It's, I would call it a trip more than a vacation. Cause it's like, you're not really yeah. vacating from anything. You have to do all your normal, like parenting stuff. It's just, you don't have all your things and normal routines and all that. So it's like, it's actually more work in a lot of ways. But this actually, there was like some good downtime and I don't know, I was able to balance out like staying active, but also getting to relax. I just really kind of hit the right vein um, in that respect. So that was cool. Did did Um, the uh, kayak you were using have adjustable foot pegs? um, I don't know. I do not know to look for these things. So it's possible. Yeah, it it depends on what type of kayak it is. So kayaks sometimes have, was it a sit on top or a sit inside? It was an inside. So if it's inside, you probably had adjustable foot pegs in there. Sweet. Okay. The, the, the sit on tops usually have molded um, foot 
Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, the, and there, there's like you know maybe like four or five of them that you can just choose. Okay. But with insides, they usually have um, two tracks that have the, like a pinch and pull, pull, okay. uh, pinch and pull, push sort of thing. I'll have to look for that next so, time. Yeah, yeah, you might know, have been. Well, so the, the 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 there were two kayaks there. One was a single, and one was a double. Mm-hmm. And all the times that I went, I was with my brother-in-law, so we were we were always in the double together. Mm-hmm. And we would like switch off who would be the one in the back, and it was like one of those really long ones that has actually a, right. rudder, a rudder that you control with your feet. Oh wow! So that helped with turning, which is good because like I mean we were we were on the lake, so it was like there were boats going and jet skis, and there was like there were waves yeah. happening. So it was That's like legit. yeah, and we didn't I didn't have like the cover for the kayak, so it was basically like a canoe. So it's like if we had gone over, we would have been like under so you know yeah yeah i have that's why it's important to uh (laughs) that's why why i always buy kayaks with a sealed bulkhead because yeah i've that keeps it afloat long enough for you to get it over to the side if you have a kayak a sit inside kayak with no sealed bulkhead or storage compartment that thing can just go right to the bottom yeah i mean it was not like we weren't doing any rapids or anything. We were just floating. Oh, on top st- of the water. still, like, yeah. <laughs> you just one one shift wrong. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. We had a couple of times where we both went to like, you know, uh-huh. both went to to row and our our weight just leaned the wrong way and we were like oh boy okay let's oh, not yeah. do that again. it doesn't take a lot it doesn't take a lot yeah even just getting in and out it was pretty like I'm not a small person and the kayak was you know maybe not even as broad as my shoulders like. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a pretty pretty top heavy kayak getting me in and out of it so it was like yeah that was probably the most precarious part of the whole thing was just me getting in and out of it nice well i'm glad but, you had fun because i know that i know that um you know rowing machines are a fun exercise pastime of yours so oh, like, i love rowing you, yeah. you, you enjoy that that kind of like uh oh, yeah. that applied cardio i guess oh yeah i love maximizing the pain that i feel when i <laughs> exercise and rowing is like one of the most efficient pain maximizing feelings <laughs> you can get when exercising. Um, no, I mean it's true. Like actually, this is complete and total tangent. Um, well, we're in tangent town now. It's have all right. you ever? You know, fall fall season is approaching us here somewhat. Um, but have you ever seen the pumpkin chunkin contest where they like build catapults and stuff to launch pumpkins as far as possible? I think so. Oh, it's cool. There's tons of YouTube videos. It's a thing. I mean. Some people spend unbelievable amounts of money on it. But anyway, there's a whole category of them. They're all like human-powered catapults. So it's like they have different categories for trebuchet style. They have different ones for air-powered cannons, all this kind of stuff. But they have other ones that are all human-powered. So it's either like people are like turning a crank to wind them up or some people hook them to a bicycle or whatever. There's one guy who like um, uh, hooked it up to a row machine and he used the power generated from the row machine to like basically pull back and power his catapult. And he did great because like in terms of efficiency of human power, rowing is one of the tops. So that was, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Brian, rowing. Brian, eventually, I mean, you've done a lot of crafts like with woodcraft and now metalworking. Mm-hmm. Eventually you're going to need to build some sort of completely unnecessary contraption that, like a, like like a, Rube, a Goldberg, cata- Rube Goldberg device. Yeah, so, that, like you know. a, a, a strand beast, a trebuchet, something just that does not need to exist, but you just need I have, to. <laughs> so this is like, bringing it back a little bit to pens, somewhat, sort of. Um, so Brian Gray from Edison Pens, him and I go way back to the beginning of Goulet Pens. Um, he's also a woodworker and, and stuff like that. He has built 
a couple of different trebuchets. Um, so him and I, completely off the topic of pens, will nerd out a little bit um, on some. He's of also that pretty kind of fascinated stuff. with the strand beast. Uh, oh yeah, he's got mechanics. The yeah, strong. He's, he's, strand he's, beast, he's just yeah. he's an, he's a, just an engineering nerd in general. Oh yeah, we're all. I mean, yeah, it's you know we're all kind of in a similar place there. Um, but one thing I'm talking to him about right now is. Um, uh, I, he, he, what is it, what is it called that he's made, um, uh, kinetic wall clocks. So like mechanical gears and stuff like that made out of like wood and, and stuff like that. So it's like a giant clock. That's like all this crazy elaborate kind of like what you're describing, but basically a, f- a functional clock. Um, he's got a CNC machine and there's plans out there. He's made some, so him and I are going to collaborate on Maybe my, this is completely personal, just a one-off thing because I think it's cool and nerdy and all that. But that's um, awesome. You know, I just need to connect with him on that. So I was actually like watching some videos on kinetic wall art and stuff like that on my vacation because I just think oh, it's boy. super cool. I had too yes. many. I have too many interests and not enough. Ways the dangerous to do thing, them. though, is when your hobbies actually create other interests because you wouldn't even mm-hmm. be looking at this if you didn't already have your foundation in you know, right. uh, yeah. woodworking and stuff. So it's exactly. like one, one opens the door to another. Oh no. Yeah. And, and welding too only has, See, this is why I, this is why I, I, yeah. I've committed to remaining as untalented as possible. So it's, 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 it's tough to remain this, um, yeah. average. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. It does. It's a, yeah. I um, mean, I'm getting tired right now. Yeah. Um, some other things that we did. So there was a, there was a pool table there as well. So, um, my kids were introduced to Billy Goods last year uh, when we were at this lake house and we went back there and they were excited and got to play lots of pool. Um, none of us in the family are all that good, but it was cool because we're all on kind of a level playing field. Um, but I always liked it. My grandfather played a lot of pool. So I, I did. He passed away when I was 19, I think. So I got to play it quite a bit with him uh, when I was in my like middle school and high school years. You know, so, I remember this one kid, uh, like around middle school, like I went over to his house and he had actually, he had mm. a, what's called a bumper pool table in, um, mm. in, in, in his house. It was this weird, like kind of octagonal table. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that before. Can you, like, isn't that a, a weird thing? thing for, yeah. Sounds like a really obscure, weird thing. Um, yeah, I know. What a weirdo. Yeah. Drew's talking about me, by the way. Um, <laughs> my parents, they still have that bumper pool table. It's got like really? a, it's got a bumper pool in it, but then you can also it's got a wooden top that you put over top of the bumper pool thing, and you can flip it over, and then it's like a, a gaming table. It's like a felt lined with like cards and all that kind of stuff. I don't think they've ever flipped it over and like played cards on the felt side of it. They use that it thing as, is hard. I remember playing that in middle school and bumper pool. Oh yeah, it's hard. Th- th- there's there's no there's no room in between be the bumpers. Oh yeah, ah, and they're rubber bumpers, so it's like if the ball touches it, it's like pff, forget it. You're not gonna. It's make very it. upsetting. It is. It is. But anyway, this was a conventional pool. It was fun. Kids had a great time. Um, they had a dart board as well, which was pretty fun. Um, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned gummy bears earlier. And it made me think about it because that, I guess now, I mean, it's like, what do they, they say? Doing something once. Uh, there's like an expression. You do something once and it's a one-off. You do something twice and it's a coincidence three times and it's a pattern or something like that. Have you ever heard sure. that phrase? Anyway, so we now, you know, my brother-in-law, especially, he started this last year. He went and got the, like, Black Forest, like, two-pound bag of gummy bears. And it was like, you know, whether it's, like, 
Oreos or gummy bears, or there's got to be like some kind of like vacation food thing. Like cheese balls, yeah. Cheese balls. It's got to be some indulgence. It's like, I'm not going to eat this the rest of the year, but it's like, whatever, kids, just knock yourself out on gummy bears, do whatever. Yes. And you like associate your memory with that. So that was. I love doing that so much. We actually, we did that last year, ate the whole bag, and then ran out and got another bag. Yes. So. We this, did that with cheese balls once. There you go. Two tubs. So we, we did that this year, except we bought two two-pound bags yes. of gummy bears, which we have abbreviated to GBs. Oh. So, yeah. GBs. So you do Black Forest, not uh, Haribo? Well, that's what they had, but I do like the Black Forest ones. They're, they're nice and squishy. They got good flavor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like those. I'm, I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Haribo purist, but okay. at, at, uh, I'm also a fan of the Albanese brand of uh, gummy bears. They mm-hmm. are super squishy and super flavorful. Hmm. Okay. The Black Forest ones are good, though. They're, they're good. They are. Um, they're pretty solid. So, yeah. Anyway, GBs. That was our whole thing. GB? And, oh, my gosh. You should Which s- could also be uh, you see Lule how, Brian. I know, right? You should, you should see how amped up my kids get ellie especially eating these gummy bears i mean she was <laughs> she was sneaking them left and right i think we ate almost the whole two pound bag the first day that we got that's them. amazing and it was like woo boy we better slow down on these because that's amazing it's kind of a bit but anyway gb's that's like our associated family thing now for our love it little lake vacation so uh lake gb's because cool. i don't know how you feel but like my family was never huge on like specific traditions. Um, and so like we had family memories growing up and stuff like that, but none of them were like, Oh yeah, we do this every year. It was like, Oh, we had things that like we sort of happened to end up doing a bunch of times. Or I have like things I associate with my childhood or memory or whatever, but it's not like, you know, I know some families, even like my own extended family where it's like their family goes to the same vacation place Every year, no matter what, now the kids are grown and they bring their grandkids and everybody goes to this place first week of July every year, come heck or high water. And it's like, I really don't have anything like that in I don't have anything to that family. extreme. Yeah, but like... Like, we, we did we did vacation at the same place for a while. Yeah. And my, my grandparents had a, what used to be a little trailer on the river out. Um, okay, that's in, cool. You know, but now, now it's a, you know, slightly more... Uh, slightly more impressive, like one of those two-part homes that you know. Okay. They, yeah. uh, I haven't been there since Archer was born, though. But yeah. um, every, whenever we would go there, we'd go to this like jankety little convenience store that had all that like off-brand candy and like the little kind of baggies that were stapled up at the top. Oh yeah. And th- that was the only time I would get that jankety candy. I don't know why, but I'd get like the long um, red uh, licorice rope things yep. that came in just like a giant coil, like. That was my jam. So yeah, I, I totally get the food-related yeah. vacation memories. Like I'm 110 percent all into that. I love making food memories. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, you know, I don't know. I always I always think like, should I be doing some kind of like tradition with my kids? Because like when they're really young, ah, eh, they don't really know what's going on. But now they're at the age where it's like, if I if we started doing the same thing every year, not just vacations or whatever, but like whatever the tradition is it's like if we started doing that more of that kind of stuff that could like establish a family tradition but then Rachel it sounds was, like it's you happening know. you got your vacation gbs man i guess but i mean it's only twice yeah. now that we've done that so we'll see if that keeps up but oh ellie's not gonna let you forget it it'll yeah. keep happening yeah we'll see no I'm, she's gonna i was like i was like i'm gonna see i was telling my brother-in-law i was like i'm gonna see if my kids like remember that 
gummy bears exist in the real world. It's like, I'm going to try to convince them that just like, oh, that's like, I, you can only get those at the lake. Like, that's just a lake. <laughs> they don't make them anywhere else. Like, we can only get them there so that way they can go nuts and then the rest of the year. And it's like, it's like how long can I get away with that? Because like gummy bears, like, other than like getting them at like a, you know, a yogurt, uh, a frozen yogurt place where it's like a topping on some kind of ice they cream They have them at grocery stores, Brian. They do, but they have all kinds of food in grocery stores. And, <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't regularly bring my kids grocery shopping with me. I usually okay. do that alone, um, or Rachel will go every now and then. But I, yeah, that's I primarily true. do that. So it's like kids are kind of awful at grocery stores. Yeah, and I definitely avoid like the candy section and the freaking cereal aisle where they always have toys on the other side of it. And you're like, tag on it. They know. What they're <laughs> they doing. know what they're doing. I'm like, whatever. I'll buy cereal next time. It's fine. <laughs> I buy cereal like ten boxes at a time, like once a month. I don't like cruising down that aisle. Yeah. Interesting. I'll These days with groceries it. with groceries being expensive as they are, we are only we are a buy one get one free family. Like Oh, there you go. Wh- whether or not it's General Mills or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm like Oh, I'm a, a, I'm a I'm a off-brand man. I'll buy the store yeah. brand whatever. I'm not buying hey. Wheaties is 5 bucks a box. I'm like I'll buy $2.25 <laughs> Walmart brand brand flakes. Like it tastes the same. It's made I don't know the why same Wheaties is so factory. expensive. Five yeah. bucks a box is because you're paying athletes to be on the cover. That's why. Like, I don't care about that. Give me brain flakes. I just need fiber to help me poop. I don't need <laughs> some athlete. I'm, look, I'm looking at my phone or laptop anyway. Well, I'm not looking at the cereal box. You know, whatever. Oh, my God. I don't need to. Those eat. athletes get paid enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. You're killing me. So, yeah. Good times. Uh, good times. Yeah. That was, that was most of my life. I would say more but honestly it was pretty much just hanging out with family and doing random that's stuff awesome like that, that sounds perfect man that's a yeah. great vacation it was really good it was really good and uh, <clears throat> yeah good time had by all and i will say so related to that rachel's gotten her sister into animal crossing new horizons oh boy so that's a new thing so now her sister is newer to it all so that was a big part of it too rachel and her sister you know they're only a few years apart she's got a younger sister and so they're able to connect on that and rachel has been playing it hardcore for the last couple of years so she's able to impart a lot of wisdom onto her sister and having a good time and living vicariously and they're helping each other out and visit each other's islands and running around and chasing each other and hitting themselves in the back of the head with nets and stuff like that just having a good time so there was a good amount of that that was happening as well downtime and now like her kids so my niece and nephew are now five and seven so they're like getting old enough where they can start to do some like you know, somewhat reliably independent activities or like we can play like certain board games together as a family, or we can like play, we did like some Mario Kart and we like gave them all the assist settings and they played Mario party together. Like they can actually like do some of the same activities that are not just like made for toddlers kind of a thing. So that was pretty cool. I got to see, that is cool. got to spend good time with them and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a good time. Glad, glad to have gotten the family time. But now I'm back, right. and it's time to work, work, work until I die. So with the uh, with the CY segment, we're going to be running. <laughs> oh, we are late. running hard. Oh gosh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Okay, well, we'll move it along <laughs> here. Um, we do have a couple of co- just one company update, really, um, that I'll get to. So we have a, a half day that's happening today as we're launching this video. Uh, we have this sort of mental health day that we like to do, maybe once a month, and uh, we're doing it uh, today. So uh, we'll be closing early at noon, and so if you are trying to reach out to us. We'll get back to you on Monday. Um, yeah, and we'll just uh, be back 
then. So mentally healthier than ever. Trying to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, other than that, that's pretty much all we got. So we can go ahead and wrap this thing up. So I want to thank you all for watching. Please leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Ask us questions so that we can answer them in the next episode, which will be back on our regular schedule. Um, check out gulaypens.com for all of your fountain pen, ink, and paper needs. And subscribe to our YouTube and Instagram channels. Um, you can email us if you are, especially if you're an audio listener, uh, pencast at gulaypens.com. And I have a fun random fact for you, truly random one today. Okay. Uh, an average person breathes in around 11,000 liters of air every day, or about 2,900 gallons of air, which is around the volume of a cement mixing truck. So you breathe in a cement mixing truck's worth of air every day. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. What if what if you sometimes forget to breathe and then get the hiccups as a result of forgetting to breathe? I would guess that over the full day you'd probably even out. I think. All you, right, cool. I think your body needs the air that it needs. So probably if you you know, I mean maybe if you exercise a whole lot, you might breathe in more air. But then no, I, that's not me. I think people who isn't it like if you exercise a lot, then maybe I'm thinking of like your your pulse, your pulse, like your heart rate. Like typically if you're an elite level athlete and you're working out a lot, doesn't isn't your resting heart rate usually a lot lower? So it sort of like all evens itself out. I wonder if it's that way for air too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Are you breathing less as an athlete with your resting oh my God. breathing rate? I don't know. I would think so. I don't really have a clue. Anyway, that was not the point. But random fact, <laughs> if y'all know more about that, there's your turkey hammock tidbit. Thank you. Leave us a comment. Thanks for sticking with us on this super long pencast. Good to be back. Yeah. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everybody. And right on.